That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. B-F-F-T. Now, built by High Caliber Millwrights, live from the Bet MGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino, here's John Canzano with a ball-faced truth. Well, we're live. We're in a sports book. Man, I've been inside casinos and inside sports books a lot in the last couple of weeks. Uh, in Las Vegas for the women's basketball tournament last week or two weeks ago. Then last week, the men's Pac-12 basketball tournament in Vegas again. I got a lot of Las Vegas, and now I'm getting Spirit Mountain. If you're interested in stopping by, we'll be here till 6 o'clock with a live broadcast in their sports book. As good as any I saw in Las Vegas, by the way. We've got a great show today. We'll talk uh, a little bit of history. We'll talk a little bit of tournament with Jerry Palm, the bracketologist with CBS Sports. If you got a bracket to fill out, I want you to get it out and get it ready. In just a few minutes, Jerry Palm will be joining us, and he's going to help you fill out your bracket. He's going to talk about the teams, what you need to know. I'll tell you who I like in the Final Four, who I like my pick to win the NCAA tournament. Plus, uh, we'll talk a lot about Pac-12 expectations and the NFL. Whole bunch of free agent signings. If you're listening on 750 The Game, you heard Judah Newby's update leading right into the show. He talked about Jimmy Garoppolo to the Raiders, Sam Darnold on a one-year deal to the 49ers. Teams starting to jockey for position. Aaron Rodgers still up in the air. Where will he end up? The Jets. And Lamar Jackson in an interesting situation with the Ravens where the Ravens essentially have made him an offer, but uh, he is still able to go out and negotiate uh, as if he is a restricted free agent, so to speak. Ravens can still match any potential offer for Lamar Jackson. We'll talk all about that. Plus, uh, you know, I, I got to know how much spring football is on your mind. It, it's on my mind because I care about Oregon State. I care about Oregon. I'm interested in whether these teams can take steps forward. I've talked to Jonathan Smith and Dan Lanning in the last week. Uh, Jonathan Smith, a lot of my conversation, you heard some of it on air here as we interviewed him, a lot of the conversation revolving around the quarterback position, in particular DJ Uyengalele, the quarterback that came to Oregon State through the transfer portal. think he can make a big impact there. I'm excited about that. Excited to see what he can be this spring, in particular the spring game. And Dan Lanning's defense, got to find an identity. Like, forget about, like, offensively. I'm not saying forget the offense because that's silly in today's game. But I'm, I'm not worried about the offense. I'm not thinking about the offense. I'm not interested in whether or not uh, Bo Nix can move the ball and the Ducks will score points next season. I think they will. Uh, they have proof of performance. And Will Stein, the offensive coordinator who will replace – Kenny Dillingham uh, has a reputation of being a guy who will come in and they will throw the ball around the stadium. But that defense has got to have identity, right? And you look around the Pac-12 conference, I'm going to go team by team and talk about identity in this segment because it is the identity of Colorado football that is on my mind today. Why Colorado? 
Well, just like Oregon and Oregon State, Colorado's starting their spring practices. Just like Oregon State, Colorado has questions to answer, namely Deion Sanders and his offensive and defensive coaching staffs have got to figure out like what they're going to be about at Colorado. ESPN wants to televise Colorado's spring game. It shows you the level of interest that Coach Prime brings Colorado, uh, and it frankly – makes me think about the decision by Rick George and his staff at Colorado to hire Deion Sanders looks more and more like a no-brainer before they've even played a football game. But what is their identity going to be? I, you know, In talking to other Pac-12 coaches, they're doing a little bit of rubbernecking. They're looking over at Colorado's program. They see that Deion Sanders has basically hired an offensive head coach as his offensive coordinator and a defensive head coach as his D coordinator. And then he has uh, subsequently made himself sort of the, you know, the, uh, the master of ceremonies, so to speak. He's the MC, And he is going to be the guy, like the greatest showman, in charge of the circus that will perform in Colorado. Now, it may prove that Deion Sanders wins right away at Colorado and then leaves. It, you know, if you're a Pac-12 fan, you may, you may be a little skeptical about how much success they can have in year one. I know I've looked at their schedule, and I've wavered between four and five wins in year one. I have other people telling me, you're crazy. He's going to win seven games. I had somebody at the Pac-12 tournament walk up to me, uh, was a listener in the Arizona footprint who listens to this show via the stream, and he says, Colorado's going to win ten. And I said, you're out of your mind. There's no way Deion Sanders is coming in year one and winning ten games. And I frankly don't think, like, when you look around the league, I don't think there's ten games that are available to win for Colorado because I think this conference is going to be so good that wins are going to be harder to come by than ever. Like Lincoln Riley at USC, I don't expect him to duplicate what he did in year one record-wise. I also think like Oregon and Oregon State could have better seasons, but there could be some wins that were out there last year that are just not available. I think it's going to be harder to win 10 games in this conference than it was a year ago because of all the good quarterbacks that are in the Pac-12 this season. Uh, I want to know what your expectations are for Oregon and Oregon State. I want to talk about the NCAA tournament with Jerry Palm. He's coming up in just a few minutes, and we're going to dive deep on the brackets. I love this time of year. I absolutely love the NCAA tournament because uh, of what it represents um, and the geographic inclusion that it represents. You have a, a tournament that captures uh, essentially 42 states in the District of Columbia with the men's and women's tournaments. And, you know, college football doesn't do that. And sometimes the NFL doesn't do that. And sometimes uh, the NBA doesn't do that because there are a lot of small markets that feel like they're not really included in the playoffs. But the NCAA tournament absolutely gets it with the 68-team field on the women's side and on the men's side. And you frankly are only talking about seven states that have Division I men's and women's basketball programs that aren't going to be able to participate in this thing. Everybody else is playing, and it's part of why it works. I think college football works very similarly until it gets to the postseason. thing about college football is you have regional excitement with spring ball. Pac-12 fans are excited. People in the Pacific time zone are excited. Certainly people in Colorado are excited. They, they sold more than 30,000 tickets to the spring game, but when you look at the postseason for college football, you have nine seasons, 36 different teams have participated in nine seasons, not different programs, but different teams. And uh, you have only two of the 36 teams who are located 
west of the Rockies in the Pacific time zone. So you're talking about Washington, which made the made the uh, college football playoff field and lost to Alabama. And you're talking about Oregon, that made the field in 2015 and played in the national championship game before losing to Ohio State. Outside of those two teams, everybody else, 34 of the 36 teams, have come from east of Texas, Texas and further east. That's not geographic inclusion, and it shows you why college football, I think that was a motivating factor in college football expanding in addition to uh, the television revenue that is hanging out there. I think they learned from the NCAA tournament, which is wildly inclusive, uh, geographically interesting. I don't care if you are in, you know, uh, in the uh, eastern part of the United States and you're, uh, you're living on, uh, in Sandwich, uh, Massachusetts, or if you're in Tallahassee, Florida, or if you're in Austin, Texas, or uh, Portland, Oregon, or Eugene, or Corvallis, and uh, you've got, uh, you feel like this tournament is made for you because you're looking up and you're seeing things that are familiar, uh, either in the men's or the women's bracket. And we'll talk about that on today's show, but I think that's part of why March Madness wins. Stephen Vaughn is on site with me at Spirit Mountain in uh, this uh, Bet MGM sports book where we are broadcasting live today. Stephen, March Madness. Uh, as you think about it, you uh, I know when you wandered in, you did the same thing I did. You went right over to the board and started looking at the games and the odds. <laughs> That's right, John. Uh, you know, this is this is my time of year. Like, I, I just love this time of year, and you see the emotion that the kids have. And then I get a bet on it, which is even more emotion for me. So I, I'm with you. There's And this year with college basketball, there's so many teams that are good, but I don't know that there's any that are great. And so I do think this has the makings of a really good tournament. You know, depending on how you how you want to look at it, I do think there's going to be the teams that rise to the cream of the crop at the end, but there's going to be some upsets at the first round, which we all want. I, uh, I I like this time of year, not just for the upsets, but just for the fact that we get to see some teams and some players and some personalities, and we've done that over the years. I can remember John Morant coming out mm-hmm. one year and introducing himself to America, and uh, Adam Morrison did it for Gonzaga years ago, although it didn't work out for him in the NBA. He became a household name in the NCAA tournament, and I think there will be some players that emerge in this tournament. Like, you know, last year we we had, uh, you know, a, a 15 seed yeah. get get to the Final Four. I mean, it was remarkable. Yeah, St. Peter's, that came out of nowhere. And, yeah, you get those every year. You know, you get this one team that just captivates America, and uh, we all start rooting for them. So it's just a great time of year. Uh, you know, that Thursday, Friday, that first round, just so good. And uh, to be here. Spirit is that Matt. the best part, the Thursday, Friday? That's the best part to me. The best part, you know, 16 games. It's like, you, you know, especially here on the West Coast, you wake up at nine, about 9.30 they start, and they go all the way till 9.30, 10. I mean, it's just all day. It's great. And then being in the sports book, I mean, you just see all the numbers, see the odds. You just love it. You just love it. This is a, this is a dream of mine. I've been in a lot of those arenas for those games, and it's a surreal experience because they will often put the other – games that are going on up on the jumbotron when there's a break in the action or even in the warm-up period there's you know sometimes there's 20 or 30 minutes as the team's warming up and you're watching you know uh, a 12 seed beat a five seed and the entire arena is rooting in the game it's yeah. like being in the largest sports book in america and and what happens too with you know some of the lower seeded teams is you will get the fans who are there in the arena who are just there to see college basketball. They just they bought a ticket to the event. They didn't buy a ticket because they root for a team. They just bought a ticket to be part of March Madness. And what they will do is if the lower-seeded team is close, 
It's like Rocky Balboa is fighting. Like yeah. everybody starts to align themselves with, you know, St. Peter's or George Mason trying to get him to the Final Four or a Butler team that, that broke a lot of brackets, and everybody starts aligning themselves with those teams, and it becomes kind of a cool experience inside the arena. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. I mean, the, the neutral fans, right? Like, even if you are rooting for a team, you know, if you're if you're a Gonzaga fan, but the team you're gonna play, you know, they're getting upset in the second round. You, you root for those teams. You want an easier path for you to get to, get to the next round. So it is fun because I remember being there at the Moda Center for the first time when it was there, the NCAA tournament, and that's how I was. I, you know, I was a neutral fan. I'm just rooting for all the upsets, underdogs. I'm going crazy for those teams. So I'm with you on that one. I want you to stay tuned. We're gonna help you with your bracket. Do you have your final four picked? Are you sure for it? Are you locked in? Uh, coming up, Jerry Palm. He is the bracketologist of CBS Sports. He's one of the most talented, gifted people when it comes to filling out your bracket and knowing this tournament. Who does he think got robbed by not getting into the tournament? And who's he going to tell you to keep an eye out for as you fill out your bracket? Coming up, Jerry Palm, CBS Sports. Leave it here. <laughs> Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano, live from the BetMGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. Well, every year at the NCAA tournament, uh, I think about the teams that are in the tournament, but I also think about my old friend Jerry Palm. He is a bracketologist. He is a... Uh, he is a uh, fan of basketball, I think, as well, and a guy who, frankly, uh, can help you with your bracket because he knows a lot about the teams that made it and the teams that didn't. He's joining us now, Jerry Palm. How are you, man? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing well. I think about you uh, NCAA tournament time. I think about you other times, Jerry, as well. I don't want you to think I just only think about you at the tournament, but you are. this is what you do. This is how much you what you focus on. How busy was your day like – Friday, Saturday, going into Selection Sunday? Actually, Selection Sunday is the easiest of the days because almost all the work is done by then. There's only five games left. Um, you know, you might have to tweak something here or there. But, um, you know, the the TV schedule, everything else winds down by the time you get to Selection Sunday. And, uh, you know, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, those are significant grinds. I had a 23-hour day on Thursday into Friday, um, you know, so I, I would get, you know, like six hours of sleep in two nights um, instead of one. So, yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's somewhat demanding, but, you know, it's short-term demand. Let me ask you, you know, where your mind was headed to Sunday. What questions remained for you and what the selection committee would do? Pretty much the bottom of the bracket, you know, who would be the, the teams that would get in, who would be the teams that would get left out. You know, there's, I, we always have like four, last four in, first four out. That's all everybody talks about, last four in, first four out. And I don't think I've ever talked about a bubble team more than North Carolina this, this year. Um, there was never any doubt they weren't going to make it um, once they went out, you know, in the conference tournament. But um, the still, I mean, we talked a lot about that team, Um so the, I was just curious as to see who would get in um, and and who would not. And then there was some, um, you know, question about the fourth number one seed. Would that be Purdue or UCLA? Um, I think when UCLA lost in their conference tournament, that probably settled it. Uh, but uh, Purdue got a challenge from Penn State late. 
maybe if Purdue had lost, UCLA still could have been number one. Uh, as it turns out, they were fifth overall. So, um, yeah, it's, but those were basically the questions going into Selection Sunday. When you looked at, you know, some of the teams that maybe didn't get in uh, versus some that did, were there were there teams that, like, who has the biggest beef today uh, that isn't in the field of 68? Nobody. And that's true every year. Now, I had Rutgers as my last team in and Arizona State as my first team out. They were switched by the committee. Um, but every team that got left out gave the committee a reason to leave them out. And if you're out, that's on you. Now, yeah. there are six or seven teams in the bracket that also gave the committee a reason to leave them out. But they have to put 68 teams in the bracket. So, but if you're given the, if you've got something on your resume that typically doesn't get in the NCAA tournament or is a, is a something of a red flag, and you don't make it, that's on you. So I have I, this is 30 years of doing this. I've never felt sorry for a team that got left out because they all did something that gave the committee a reason to leave them out. I heard some belly aching about Arizona State. Uh, in the end, what do you think the committee looked at that made them say, "All right, we're we're putting them in the field." I think for Arizona State versus Rutgers, the um, it would be the quality of Arizona State's losses because Rutgers won at Purdue, right? And, and um, Arizona State, although they won at Arizona, that's not that's a good win. It's not as good as beating a number one seed on the road. Um, but Rutgers had four quad three losses. They lost to Minnesota as a 200 net level net team. It just and that was late in the season, so you know that's. Um, and Rutgers, Rutgers finished poorly. That by itself is not a thing, but they did a fair amount of damage to their resume during that poor finish. Um, they lost um, a lot mag uh, in the, the beginning of February, I want to say, middle of conference play, one of their bigs, and, and they weren't the same without him, and they just couldn't hold on to the point where they had a good enough resume to get chosen. Jerry Palm is with us, bracketologist, CBS Sports. I'm looking at seedings now, and you got Alabama, Houston, Kansas, and Purdue uh, as one seeds. UCLA and Arizona both uh, ending up as two seeds, along with Texas and Marquette. You got did any of them have a beef? And uh, I, I saw UCLA up close, and I feel like without Jalen Clark, that probably uh, you know from a seeding standpoint hurts you before you've even played in the conference tournament game. But Jerry, anybody have a, a bellyache there? Um, at the top of the bracket, I mean, you're really kind of picking nits. Um, I thought Kansas should have been the overall number one with the schedule that they played. 17 quad one wins, most of which are against teams in the NCAA tournament. But this committee told us on February 4th or 18th when they did their bracket reveal, that was just three weeks ago, that they liked Alabama, and apparently nothing changed. And they still liked Alabama. Uh, ahead of Houston, they had Kansas third. Um but the the difference there is geographic preference, right? So Kansas is in the Las Vegas region instead of the Kansas City region. That, that's the difference between being the number one overall and number three. Um, you know, so I, I don't really have a problem with UCLA as a two. I actually had them as a three after they the top three, number nine overall, uh, when they lost to Arizona because I thought, okay, this just isn't the same team without um, Clark and 
I thought that they would get pushed down slightly just for that. But that didn't happen. They're number five overall, still ahead of Arizona. Uh, so uh, even though Arizona beat them two out of three. Jerry, if I can ask you, you know, I know you're big on the Boilers. That's your team. That's your alma mater. I think your kid's still in the marching band at Purdue. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're Give me an I- one right now. <laughs> Give me an they're idea. The Dublin St. Patrick's Day Parade. Sorry, I love that. Me. Making that's memories, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Did you get to? Did you? Because you were a band. You were a band guy yourself. You went to band camp. Yes. You I, I did, did you four years of marching band at Purdue? Yeah. Do they give scholarships in band? Like, were you like like the no, Kevin Durant we, we of the Purdue band? Music. We don't even have a school of music. Oh, man. Nobody there. Nobody majors in music at Purdue. Man, it's the largest university that does not have a school of music. That that's why people come to the show to find out the uh, facts about bands and in America college bands. But let me ask you about Purdue. You've had eyes on them. Uh, what do you like about them? What do you worry about? Um, well, Zach Eady is the thing to like. A seven foot four, three hundred and five pounds, going to be the national player of the year. Dominant post player, unlike we've seen in college basketball. Probably in I do had a guy um, not that long ago that was a pretty dominant post, but. You know, he's putting up 30 and 10. He's had eight 30 and 10 games already this year, which is the most by a major conference player in probably 20 years. I, I want to say it was in our game notes. Um, so yeah, but he just he just controls the game. Uh, and he does it without fouling. He, hardly, he never gets in foul trouble. Um, Zachy is, is a force to be reckoned with. If Purdue is hitting their three-point shots, and you've got Zach Eady in the post. You cannot defend him. There's nothing you can do. Um, so, uh, but the three-point shot has been spotty for Purdue. They were two for 20, I think, against Penn State uh, in the championship game, which was a two-point win. So, you know, that's kind of the weakness. Also, they don't really handle full-court pressure very well. They're playing starting two freshman guards, although they have experienced guards that come off the bench. Um, but, uh, you know, they're going to go as far probably as their three-point shooting can take them. They don't have to shoot great. Uh, it doesn't have to be great. It just has to be, you know, good, you know, serviceable. I mean, they just beat an NCAA tournament team shooting two for 20. So it doesn't have to be great, but it does need to be effective uh, to open up the post for Zach Eady. They're in that East region. Do you see a test, or who do you have circled on your bracket as Purdue advances? Because I know I've got listeners who are filling out their bracket. At what point do they have to start thinking, hey, this could be problematic for Purdue? Game two, uh, especially if it's Memphis, because that's a very athletic team with an NBA guy. And um, so I, I think that really athletic teams could be matchup problems for Purdue. Um, and uh, that's a team that could be a matchup problem for Purdue. Um, so they would have their work cut out. Um, they, they could get Duke in a Sweet 16. Um, or Tennessee, but I, that's, Tennessee is they don't have their point guard. I don't expect them to get there. But you know, Duke is a team that Purdue beat in Oregon in that uh, one of the Phil Knight things, uh, and, and they crushed them. Um, but Duke bigs are a lot better now than they were then. And uh, so I, I remember watching that game, thinking I don't want to see Duke in four months. Well, now Purdue could see Duke, um, and then you know, an elite eight game would be a, possibly a Marquette team that Purdue already played this year and beat by five at Mackey. Uh, but it also could be Kansas State, uh, which is a really good team, um, or poss- possibly someone else. Kentucky's in that bottom half of the bracket. Uh, so, 
you know, there's some teams in the bottom half of the bracket, which should be a lot of fun. That's that bottom half of that bracket. There's some, there's some pretty good teams. Maybe even State there too. Geez, I didn't do Marquette any favors either. Um, but you know, it's um, so there's definitely some challenges in that region. They did not do Purdue any favors with who they put in their region. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, is with us. Uh, of the one seeds, like you know, that that's an uncomfortable position for a one seed to say, hey, in our second game. That could be a serious test. Is is any other any of the other one seeds you foresee having a, a potential issue or maybe a bracket that is even more difficult than the one that Purdue's in? I, I don't think any of them have the potential matchup problem that Purdue does in, in possibly in game two. Uh, Alabama's got, you know, like their their region is, you know, their four seeds Virginia, who probably should be lower. Uh, their two seed Arizona, who I, you never know what you're going to get from them. Yeah. Um, and then their three-seeded Baylor, who's struggling going into um, uh, the NCAA tournament. They they had a rough end of their season, so they're not really hitting you know on all cylinders right now. So I like their path. Uh, Houston's second game could be Iowa. Iowa's capable of shooting 50% from three for a game. I mean, they could just you know have one of those days like they had at Indiana, where. You can't defend them. They're hitting everything in sight, and all of a sudden you go home. But that's, that's their only chance. Kansas could get Arkansas. Arkansas is interesting because they've got Nick Smith now. So they, too, have an NBA guy. They're an athletic team. But Smith missed 19 games, and he's only been back for half a dozen. And I don't know if they entirely figured out how to play together yet. If they do, I mean, he becomes kind of an X factor. You know, against a team like Kansas. Now, I think Kansas has got too many weapons. It would probably beat them anyway. But, you know, that's that would be an interesting game if, if Kansas can get Arkansas. In the West bracket, UConn is a four seed. Seems to be the sweetheart pick right now by a lot of people. What what are they seeing in UConn? Well, they've got two bigs um, that they can um, trade off and play, kind of like Purdue did last year with Travion Williams and Zach Eady. Um, they're Maybe not quite that good, but they're pretty good. Um, and they've got good they've got good starters all over the. I mean, all of their starters are good players. So um, they've had uh, they had a tremendous start to their season, went undefeated until like the, the I think the game right before the conference play started, and then they they struggled early on in conference play. They had the better teams in the league on the road at the beginning of their schedule, um, but they've gotten back to playing really well. So I think that's what people see. In UConn, and they probably should have been higher than a four, so they're a little underseated, and I'm sure that's part of the two. Cherry, before I cut you loose, I'm going to look at some of the 5-12 games because we get some wild upsets there, but does something jump out at you when you look at the various 5-12 games? Well, I picked three of them. Um, the one that I had going through was San Diego State. They're playing Charleston, a team that won 30 games this year, 30-3, and three, but only played one quad one team that was North Carolina on the road and they got drilled. So um, I don't know. I mean, San Diego state is, is the grinder. Um, and uh, it'll, I don't know. If, I mean, it's probably a better matchup for Charleston than somebody who's like big and athletic. But um, anyway, I, I still like San Diego state in that game, but I picked the other three, which are Drake against um, Miami and Miami's could be without one of their bigs who had a high ankle sprain in their final game in the ACC tournament. And Drake has got um, Tucker DeVries, who could play at a major conference school, but is playing for his dad at Drake instead. Uh, so they're not going to be 
that much less talented than the team they're facing. Um, VCU is underseeded because uh, they had injuries in non-conference play, couldn't resume build like they normally do, dominated the last half of the A-10 schedule, uh, and their defense is something else. So I like them to beat St. Mary's. And I'm taking a flyer on Oral Roberts. You may remember the pandemic tournament two years ago. Oral Roberts got to the Sweet 16, led by a guy named Max Asmus, who was the nation's leading scorer that year. He's still there. He's only in the top ten in scoring now. But they still have a couple other guys from that team. So that's a team that already knows they can win in the NCAA tournament because they've done it. And uh, those teams are always dangerous. I love that, man. It, it's it's such an exciting time of year, and I think the tournament does such a good job of capturing both the men's and women's tournaments. They capture America, the single elimination format, the geography yeah. of it, the fact that everybody kind of feels like you know they know someone who's in the tournament. I think it really right. works. Uh, what else are they getting right about this tournament and this bracket and maybe the way they do it? And, and i got to ask, Jerry, do you support, like, do you think – you know, expanding this tournament to 80 teams is, does that make you roll your eyes or do you go, Hey, more fun. I can succinctly put how I feel about expansion. I'm in favor of going back to 64. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's not going to (laughs) happen. I don't know if 80 is going to happen. I don't think expansion is imminent. Um, you know, the argument for expansion is that Division One has gotten so much bigger. Division One has gotten so much bigger in terms of a ton of small schools who probably still would not make the tournament if you expanded. Because yeah. they're not expanding for them. They're expanding to get, you know, Rutgers into the field. But not just Rutgers, but maybe even Minnesota into the field. You know? They want Oregon in the um, field. Come on, let's get the Ducks yeah. in the field. Yeah, but yes, but... Oregon would get in, but so would Oregon State. I mean, that's the thing. They're they're expanding to get every major conference team in the tournament. Yeah. All of them. Let's just get them all in. They're not expanding to put Robert Morris in the tournament. They're not expanding to put Montana State in the tournament. They're expanding to put, you know, Oregon State in the tournament. Yeah, the Power 5 schools, they want more. And, and, and where they'll expand, Jerry, is as soon as television says, hey, we'll pay a little more, for a little more inventory, we won't. Because yeah. who's going to watch except betters? You know, it's because if you're filling out a bracket for your office pool, you're going to wait till it gets to 64, like you do now. No one's filling out an 80 team bracket, right? So you're not going to pay any attention until it gets to 64. Then you're going to pay attention. So the casual fans are not going to care. People betting on games, you know, they'll care, but they, they care about everything. Um, right. But it's you know that I don't know if that's enough of an audience to merit a ton of tv money for you know more games all right give me more jerry palms really not quality games yeah jerry palms way too early final four well my uh impulse bracket had alabama purdue texas and gonzaga you like the zags yeah i like the way they finished the season the backcourt looks like it's coming around which was kind of their problem the, the first oh two thirds of the season, and then after that loss to St. Mary's, I really liked the way they they finished this season, and they sent quite a message in that last St. Mary's game. You know that that Gonzaga team is capable of winning a lot of NCAA tournament games. Jerry Palm, you're the best. I know you're busy. Thank you for working us in. I'll talk to you down the road, and uh, I may see you on the road. Thank you. Oh, that'd be great. Hopefully, see you. There he is, Jerry Palm. CBS Sports, Bracketologist.
former band member at Purdue, picking Purdue. Don't go crazy with your bracket picking Purdue just because Jerry Palm loves Purdue. But I'll tell you, he gave you some. Uh, he gave you a gift with those five twelve upsets and talking about the potential pitfalls for Purdue in the second game and how Alabama's path is paved and uh, and whatnot. Uh, Steven, let me ask you this. He talks about the bracket expansion, Judah, the bracket expansion. I want to talk about this more coming up, but he was the most animated at that moment. He was, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. The bracket is – it was perfect at 64, right? And so I understood adding the four extra teams with, or the eight extra teams with the first four. But you don't need it. You don't need it. 64 was a perfect amount because it fits on one piece of paper. I feel like as soon as you go to, yeah. like, you have to staple a piece of paper, that's when the office pools goes out. That's right. when everything goes away. You need the one sheet of paper. So I'm with Jerry Paul on this. Keep it at 64 or at the fire. I'm fine with the first four as a gambler. Like, I'm cool with that too, but you got to keep it at that number. Mediocrity added to the tournament. But, uh, you know, they are talking about 80 and uh, potentially putting a first four matchup in each region instead of just one, uh, you know, for the tournament. So, like, that's the yeah. thing. Like, I don't need to see Colorado in the NCAA tournament, right? Like that, no, like you that. may. And that's the thing. That's what we would see is teams like that, Washington State. Like, they did, weren't good enough. They don't deserve a chance to get to the tournament. So, you know, they, they need to just keep it where it is, keep it on the one sheet and have fun there. Speaking of uh, keeping it where it is, I am broadcasting today Spirit Mountain Bet MGM Sportsbook. Uh, coming up, I want to talk about the teams in our state. Only the University of Portland women's team is participating in March Madness. Uh, the Ducks, not part of the tournament. The Beavers, not part of the tournament, both in, on the men's and women's side. The Vikings, not part of the tournament at Portland State. Which program are you most disappointed in not being part of the tournament? I'll give you my answer. We'll talk more about it next. <laughs> Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano, live from the BetMGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. University of Portland women's uh, basketball team made the NCAA tournament field. They won the WCC Conference Tournament in Las Vegas. A week ago, pilots are dancing. They're headed to UCLA's uh, Poly Pavilion on Saturday, where uh, they will play. They are a 12 seed. They will play number five, Oklahoma, on Saturday. The winner of that game likely gets UCLA in the second round of the tournament. Good for the pilots. Good for Michael Meek. Good for uh, the coach there. Good for his players, who, especially those players three years ago who didn't get to go to the NCAA tournament despite winning the conference tournament. This is all good. Team Charter taken off on Thursday. They will uh, practice and do media on Friday. They will play on Saturday and hopefully stick around until Monday where they would meet UCLA at Poly Pavilion and essentially a big road game for the Pilots and a berth of the, to the Sweet 16 at stake. But um, I'm disappointed to not see the Ducks to not see the Beavers, to not see the Vikings uh, around this tournament this year. Uh, the men and women's programs at Oregon and Oregon State did not make the field, and I want to unpack that here. Who had the most disappointing season, or who are you most disappointed in and not seeing them in the bracket? Uh, I'm going to go first. I want your phone calls as well at 503-417-7575. 
But uh, Judah and Steven, you can weigh in as well. But I, uh, I'm i disappointed. I'm going to say this. Like, despite the fact that I saw – I was there when Oregon lost to UCLA the other night. Played a half of basketball and absolutely wilted. Will Richardson and his teammates, really disappointing performance by Oregon. Really surprised. Um, you know, they were so up and down this year. thought that with their season on the line – they could put together two halves of basketball. They did not. They played a really good first half. They rebounded well. But when you shoot three for 18 from three, you're not going to win very many games, and you're not beating UCLA in that kind of game. Uh, so they go home, and uh, they start thinking about the NIT tournament. But as uh, as much as I am disappointed in them, and as much as I am disappointed in Wayne Tinkle's team, you know, not really mattering, finishing 11th in the Pac-12, uh, the bigger disappointment for me is not seeing Oregon and Oregon State in the women's NCAA tournament. Seven teams from the Pac-12 make the field. Neither uh, Oregon or Oregon State make it. And I'm disappointed, and I'm left wondering what happened at Oregon and what happened at Oregon State in that they, you know, they, they couldn't put together the consistency or uh, offer up the resume. I think the net ranking for Oregon certainly got them in the conversation, but... 17-win team, just not enough victories for the selection committee to put them through and put them into the bracket. I think they do have a bit of a beef, but they're not there. And Oregon State in a rebuilding or reloading year as well. So I'm going to say my biggest disappointment is not seeing one of the two great women's basketball programs in our state, Oregon and Oregon State, joining the Pilots in the women's bracket. For you guys, where's the biggest disappointment? For me, it's, it's got to be Oregon, uh, the men's team. I, this is two years in a row now with Dan Allman that they haven't performed as well as they should have. Um, I expected them to be in the NCAA tournament. And you look at the tournament field, John, on the men's side, only four teams from the Pac-12 make it. So the Pac-12 wasn't necessarily strong, and one of those teams was the first four team in Arizona State. So it's not as strong Pac-12, and Oregon still couldn't crack, the, crack into the NCAA tournament. I think that's rough. I also was a little disappointed in the Portland Pilots men's team. Uh, they had a really good year last year, and Ashante Leggins in his first year had a lot of momentum, brought a lot of players back. They go 5-11 and in West Coast Conference play. I know the West Coast Conference was good, but I was expecting a little more. Their defense really fell off all season long. So for me, it's those two schools. But I would argue, John, on the women's side here, the, pa- the Pac-12 Women's Conference was the best conference in the nation. So could I argue that because the conference is so good, that it's just one of those things where – a couple bounces didn't go their way, and that's why Oregon and Oregon State had down years because you talk about the net. The net ranking was so high, but when you're in a good conference night in, night out, and you're playing you know, a really good team, ranked teams every night, isn't it tough and hard to expect you to keep winning games just every single season year after year? Yeah, I think part of it is, look, we all bellyache about you know the Pac-12 network, distribution issues, no direct TV. That kills you in football, but you know where it helps you? It helps you in the non-revenue generating sports like women's college basketball. There's no other conference in America that's got the exposure that the Pac-12 women's teams get on the Pac-12 networks. Kelly Graves and Scott Ruick, Oregon coach, Oregon State coach, they love the Pac-12 network. Everybody else is going, oh, the Pac-12 network, I can't get it. They're out selling their programs saying, hey, you can be on TV. You can see you're going to be on TV. You're going to be televised. Well, guess what? Everybody else is doing that as well. It probably helps explain the strength of the Pac-12 when it comes to women's uh, basketball. Utah's really good this year. You know, everybody's looking at Utah going, what did they figure out? Well, they figured out they were in the Pac-12. That's part of it. Also, uh, they, you know, they, they were able to shoot well. They were the best shooting team 
from outside in the conference. Uh, Stanford being in the conference, you know, you always kind of pencil them in. I'm just surprised. I'm a little surprised that Oregon and Oregon State both stepped back in the way that they did. I mean, you talk about shooting. And you, Tommy, you know, was shooting the women's side. When I think of shooting, I don't think of the Oregon Ducks on the men's side. And, that, and I think that's where, for me, it's the biggest struggle and the biggest disappointment, John, because 294th in the nation in three-point percentage as a team. Like, that's that's not going to be good enough. And when you play in the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 is down this season, you've got to be able to make some shots. They couldn't do it consistently. They would do it for a half. They would do it for 10 minutes. And we saw that in the Pac-12 tournament against UCLA. They made a couple shots. Second half, they just go cold, couldn't create anything. I don't know if that's on Dana Altman. I don't know if that's on the player development, but something's got to change there where they get some shooters in there, whether it's a different type of recruit he's going after. they got to become better skilled players rather than just a lot of good athletes on that team. I think Dana Altman really likes the recruiting class that he has coming in, including Jackson Shellstad, the West Lynn kid. But uh, this team, I didn't like the leadership either. I didn't like Will Richardson's on-court leadership. He, he to me epitomizes kind of what Oregon basketball was this season. Yes, I know he had a hand injury. Yes, I know his hip was bothering him. But uh, I just didn't see much from him when it mattered down the stretch for Oregon. There just didn't seem to be the juice there, right? Like, it just didn't have juice. And, I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know if that's the leadership thing but or the players or the coaches, but it, it yeah. just wasn't the juice. There's been the juice before when they went to the Final Four. They had Jordan Bell and they had – uh, Peyton Pritchard and you know all those guys, Dylan Brooks, like those guys brought energy night in, night out. There just wasn't the energy there, and it's been like that for two seasons. So for me, like that just goes to the disappointment. So for, you know that's why I got to put them at number one on my disappointment ratings. It's two years in a row now that we've seen this. They just don't have the energy that they need night in and night out, and they're just not good enough to say you know we're going to roll the ball out. And we're going to make the NCAA tournament. There's not many teams in the nation that can do that. Ducks aren't on that level. Where is your biggest disappointment? Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. We'll take your phone calls and kick it around more next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano, live from the BetMGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. So I'm asking you to tell me uh, what teams in our state you're most disappointed in that aren't in the NCAA tournament brackets, the respective men's and women's brackets. Let's take some phone calls. 503-417-7575 is the number. Mark in Portland is leading us off. Mark, where's your disappointment? Well, I just wanted to talk about your new lifestyle. You come from Vegas to the I know. NCAA. <laughs> <laughs> I'm liking it. Hey, Oregon, <laughs> this is probably one of the most frustrating years being a fan like, because every it seemed like they had – a ton of chances to get in this tournament. You know, Washington and Washington State, when they went down there and lost, they were up by eight points the whole way against the Huskies and just gave that game away and then had nothing left for Washington State. UCLA at home. Uh, UCLA in the tournament with the play, you know, with a little, they're a little bit beat up. You got a chance here. And they, it just, it never materialized. Like you said, Will Richardson, he's not Peyton Pritchard. He's not Tyler Dorsey. He's not Luke Ridnour. He's, He's not the quarterback you're going to want on a tournament team. I mean, he's he showed us signs of it, but he, there was no consistency. I felt they should have got the ball, you know, to the big guy a lot more. It seemed like they should have tried to get him going, but it just it was a very frustrating season to watch. You know, watching uh, UCLA with Campbell just kill us at the end, and there's no fight. There was no comeback. It just it just this team shouldn't be in the tournament. Anybody that argues that they should, this is what you're saying about the difference. I, I saw enough 
they didn't deserve to be in the tournament. I didn't see enough with the 2001-2012 Oregon football teams or the 2000 Beavers. So I'm looking forward to the expanded playoff in football. Yeah, I had somebody ask me, you know, do you want to see them play one more game? This Oregon men's team this year, I do not. I do not want to see them play again. I have no desire to see them play another game. And I, and I think, you know, there are some fans, if you're a diehard Duck fan, you want your team in the tournament. I get it. But it was a pretty frustrating season for fans to watch the team be so up and down. Judah? Uh, newbie, uh, I want your take as well on who you are most disappointed in, but also Ace is calling in from Westland, Oregon. Ace, what do you got? So let me first say why I'm not disappointed in Scott Ruick's team. He had a lot of a lot of attrition, a lot of yeah. a lot of players left last year, and that this whole transfer thing can really can really you know wreak havoc on a squad out of nowhere. And so he had a really young young team that was competitive in a you know yeah. in a tough in a tough conference. So I give I give a lot of credibility a lot of, a lot of uh, cred to to Scott for doing that. And I think the next year is going to be next year if it's this situation that'll be frustrated. But I think that that they get a pass on that. And then the Oregon State men's hoop, you know, it's just it's just frustrating to to, to not be in the tournament once again. You know, and, and obviously they they weren't even weren't even close there so i just i just yeah. want to see i want to see them be competitive you know and so yeah. that's that's where my frustration lies needs a big step forward next season judah where's your frustration i mean can we get a, a cbi bid from the beavers no <laughs> where's no where's craig robinson you know better season for oregon state but again i'll go back to do you want to see them play another game no, no. i mean no. i'm saying no but I'm, that's why I'm, I'm like come on oregon state like can we get to the cbi like how we have fallen uh duck men for me as well is, is disappointing chris duarte is the last juice guy to steven's point but that's a tough one yeah i i just i needed to see a little fire from oregon and all the offensive rebounds in the first half against UCLA were great but not enough <laughs> B-F-F-T. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, live from the Bet MGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino, here's John Canzano with the ball-faced truth. Well, a couple of, couple of sad notes going on. I don't. I, my aim in this show is not to bring you down, but... The memorial service, uh, the public memorial service for Bill Shonley going on today at uh, Memorial Coliseum. We'll talk about it. We'll have some sound from it coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. But uh, Bill Shonley passing away, the mayor of Rip City, get, getting, his, getting his due. And the thing that I always thought about with Sean's was he was the MC at everybody else's memorial service. He was the guy that got on stage, you know, just to uh, send off Kevin Duckworth and Jerome Kersey and Dale Schluter. And, you know, he was the guy, Maurice Lucas. And, you know, I always, over the years, as Sean Lee, I would joke with him. I'd say, who's going to speak at your funeral? You're the guy. Well, today, the public memorial service for Bill Sean Lee, legendary Blazers broadcaster, starting right about now at Memorial Coliseum. But... Uh, also, a sad note over the weekend, Dick Fosbury, the guy, the Fosbury flop, great Oregonian, Hall of Famer in our state, he passed away over the weekend. 
And our next guest is here to talk about that, plus the landscape of sports in our state. When we talk about Bob Welch, former register guard, Eugene register guard columnist, author of 25 books, including The Wizard of Foz, Dick Fosbury book, uh, The One Man High Jump Revolution. It's a guy who has had numerous articles in Sports Illustrated and Runner's World. Joining us now, Bob Welch. Uh, hey, thanks for making time. Dick Fosbury passed away over the weekend. Uh, you know, your immediate thoughts there. You wrote the book. Thanks, John. Yeah, I think the world lost perhaps the most unlikely gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist ever uh, yesterday. Fosbury, in, in many respects, never should have been on that podium. Um, you know, there's lots of stories that are kind of rags to riches, but there's so many more layers to the Fosbury story that that, that made it unlikely that he would uh, not only uh, become an Olympic champion, but uh, redefine high jumping. Yeah, and I'm in middle school in, uh, you know, years ago growing up in California, and, you know, they're teaching the Fosbury flop. And then, you know, I get to the state right. of Oregon, and I go, oh, wait a minute, what's the connection here? Let's go back yeah. to that. You say unlikely. What made it unlikely that Dick Fosbury would win a medal in the Olympics? So many things, John. You know, at, eight, at 14, he lost his brother in a hit-and-run accident while the two were riding their bikes together. His parents divorced, so here's this kid at a sophomore in high school. He's essentially orphaned. And he's trying to find a, a place to fit in, to belong. And the only way that he can fit in is if he stays on the track team. And I, I argue that he all but willed himself a, a new style so that he could do that. And uh, then once he invented the Fosbury flop, uh, April 20th, 1963, at the Grants Pass Rotary Invitational, coaches said it was illegal. Uh, doctors said he was going to break his back. Uh, competitors laughed at him. When he got a, a scholarship or half scholarship to OSU, Bernie Wagner tried to deprogram him and uh, get him back to doing the old Western role. Uh, he flunked out of school, uh, almost lost his student determent, de de deferment and uh, during the Vietnam War draft, uh, nearly drowned in Lake Tahoe. And once he is saved by, by a fellow high jumper, OSU high jumper, John Ratatich, you know, three months before the games. And then when he earned a spot on the team in, in June of 68 by winning a competition in L.A., uh, three months later the U.S. Olympic Committee changed the, their selection process and basically said, no, no, that's not going to count after all. You have to prove yourself up here at elevation at Lake Tahoe and win this meet. And he was down to his last jump at 7-2, missed, and he wouldn't, wouldn't make the team. But he made it, and he made 7-3, and the rest is history. It's uh, remarkable to kind of look at the progression of technique in the high jump. And we all now see everybody doing the Fosbury flop. But did, did you talk to Dick Fosbury about kind of what he did and how he discovered that method? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, it was it was it was accidental. I mean, it's been reported like that he was a, a mathematical genius and he figured it out. No, he was he he. The phosphory flop was born out of sheer desperation. He was trying to jump hard, higher. He talked his coach in. He couldn't do the Western rule, so he tried. He talked his coach into doing the scissor during that meet in 1963. When he was in midair, he suddenly said, "You know what? I keep hitting my butt on the bar here. If I just maybe lean back." perhaps I'll get over it. He improved six inches in one day, and the flop was born. In the bus on the way back to Medford High, the coach said, I have no idea what you did today, 
but come into my office Monday and let's see if we can find some film or something that'll help you get better. But so it was, he was sort of the accidental inventor of this thing. He would tell you that it just, he said, I just followed my body. I followed the feel, uh, but it was nothing mechanical. It was nothing that he mapped out on graph paper. It, it just sort of happened. It's fascinating to me uh, that he didn't become a larger figure in track and field, but when you get into track and field, everybody knew who Dick Fosbury was. And, sure. you know, how quickly did that catch on? How long was it before everybody was doing it? Uh, by the, by, uh, within a decade, essentially every uh, Olympic jumper was using the flop. And, and even, even with the, the 10 years, you know, the eight years, I guess, between 68 and 76, it was a it was a pretty uh, it, it was a tsunami of change uh, in high jumping and uh, and like you said nobody know, now knows that there's any other way uh, and it's interesting if you look at back historically you'll see that um, his style has outlasted the scissors the eastern roll the western roll all of them it's he's it's it's now you know it's it's 50 years for the flop more than 50 years and and so. His is the not only the latest uh, uh, way to get over the bar, but it's it's the, you know the one that's lasted the longest. Dick Fosbury wins the gold medal in 1968, Mexico City. How does his life change after that? I think that's one of the more fascinating parts of Fosbury. Um, he never put all his eggs in the high jumping basket. He he would tell me over and over, you know what. I love to play basketball way more than I love to high jump. In fact, Bernie Wagner would turn look be looking for Fosbury, and somebody would say, "I was over in Gill Coliseum playing hoops." <laughs> um, he and he wanted to be a civil engineer, but he had flunked out of school. But after the Olympics, he came back. They they gave him another chance, and he got his uh, degree in civil engineering. Went off to Idaho to become a civil engineer. I think, and then he he also there was a very famous case in Corvallis in '68 where Fred Milton, a black athlete, was kicked off the football team, and just about everybody, including most of the athletes at OSU, defended D. Andros and said uh, it was proper. But but Dick said no, it wasn't proper. He it was discrimination, and Dick stood up for Fred Milton. Um, and Tommy Smith would, you know, told me, he said, you know, Fosbury was a deep thinker, and, you know, he, he dared to say what he felt. And, and he was, uh, just like in high jumping, he was, you know, he literally turned his back on the establishment. He was, he was willing to turn his back on the establishment in, in, in uh, a matter of race, for example. Uh, he, you know, his post-Olympic uh, years have been fantastic. You know, he, he became a civil engineer. He's been on Olympic committees. He put on training camps for kids. Uh, he's been a great ambassador for Medford, for Oregon State, uh, and for the state of Oregon in, throughout his life. And he, he wound up um, becoming – he was a county commissioner at the time of his death over in Idaho. And, uh, you know, a friend, a, a friend of his – or a friend of mine, Mike Higgs, a former chamber of commerce uh, director over there, said, you know, he is just beloved over there. And people uh, just speak so highly of him and uh, – and, 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 and never never let the ego get in the way of just being a really good human being. One of the things that impressed me most when I toured Oregon with him was how many close friendships he had in Medford, at Oregon State. Not people who knew him, not people who wanted to say, you know what, um, I can buy, I'm going to buy Fosbury a beer because, you know, he's an Olympic champ. No, people who loved the man because he was just Dick Fosbury, a good human being. 
Our guest, Bob Welch, uh, longtime sports columnist at the Eugene Register Guard, written more than 25 books. Uh, you've worked on these books with a variety of different people. How was working with Dick Fosbury maybe different than some of the other books you wrote? Yeah. First of all, I've never been a sports uh, columnist, general columnist. But, That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Fosbury was – I don't say this as a pun. He was the most laid-back uh, client I've ever had. Uh, I, would, I, would, I would write him an email, and then I would text him to say, did you get my email? And then I would call him to see if he got my text. And so he, he was difficult in that way, uh, getting information. But he was absolutely – he met me at South Lake Tahoe. He, we walked up into the woods at 7,500 feet to show where the track, uh, the, the uh, 1968 uh, Olympic trial track was set into the, this forest so it could replicate the elevation of Mexico City. Um, he was fun. He was laid back. He was just so unfull of himself. I remember we're, after an event in Medford, I said, can I take you to your hotel? And he goes, well, I don't really have one. And I said, well – you know, I I got an extra bed in mine, and he goes, no, sounds good. So he just was absolutely uh, just refreshing in that way that he that he was just so, like I said, uh, had very little ego. Always appreciated that. Bob, let me ask you, like when you look at, you know, he's obviously in the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. He's an Olympic champion. Uh, Dick Fosbury, again, for people just tuning in, passed away uh, yesterday. Uh, he had been battling lymphoma, uh, but what do you when you look at the state of Oregon and you look at kind of you know the Steve Prefontaines and the Phil Knights and the you know Marcus Mariota and Terry Baker, what do you make of sort of the landscape of our state when it comes to sports? Because I, I even had this ex example in Las Vegas. I was talking to one of the VPs of one of the casinos there in Vegas, and he was kind of talking to me in a way where I kind of went like, oh, he doesn't think much of the state of Oregon when it comes to sports. Uh, but our sports strength in this state, you've been around, you've seen the personalities. How did Fosbury help it, and what do you make of it? I, uh, I think that Oregon is a lot like its landscape of the Cascades. You know, in, in California, if you hike the high Sierras, um, there's just one 10, 12,000-foot peak packed next to the, the rest of them. In Oregon – you know, you've got a beautiful Mount Hood here. You've got a Mount Jefferson here. That's three sisters. I think we, when you look back at our history, every now and then a Terry Baker, a, a Fosbury, a Pre, a, a Nescu, a, you know, Marcus Mariota, they, they, they sort of rise up and, and, and they're above the rest. And, and I think that um, – I don't think that's anything to be ashamed about. But we're never – we're never going to be the California. We're never going to be the Texas. Uh, we're never going to have that sort of every year fantastic – you know, five-star athletes, uh, Heisman Trophy winners, and and championship teams. I just don't think we are. I think that it's interesting. Um, I think there's an interesting narrative that's coming into play right now in terms of football here with Oregon State with a 10-win season, having beaten the Ducks, and and Oregon having been sort of you know having such great success for so many years, kind of you know trying to find itself, trying to figure out. Can you can you redo this? So so Oregon has to sort of refine itself, not only in football, but you know now basketball and 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 baseball. They of course they really never had found themselves in baseball, but Oregon State now is going to have to show can we uh, can we um, succeed with a target on our back because nobody's going to take the Beavers for granted anymore. And um, uh, they you know a friend of mine who actually went to Oregon State always used to say, Bobby, it's cold on the mountaintop and. And the, and the Beavers are going to get to to see if they can succeed 
in that kind of climate. They've got a new stadium. They've got momentum. They've got the coach of the year. And, you know, I hope great things for Oregon State. I grew up in Corvallis. Of course, I went to the University of Oregon uh, for my journalism degree. And, uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see if the Ducks can, can, can bounce back. The track and field scene in our state, you see Oregon going full throttle with uh, obviously Hayward Field and all the investment they've made there. Do you have a sense of Dick Fosbury? You know, was he was he proud of kind of the heritage of this state? I mean, I know he's an Oregon State guy, but Oregon and Oregon State both being involved in track and field over the years. I think he was. I know he. I know he fought hard to try to bring men's track and field back at Oregon State, and I think he had a, he had a great reputation. He took great pride in being part of the the track and field fraternity, as it were. Um, and he, you know, he loved. He loved being a beaver. He, he was so proud of being from Oregon State, yet he loved jumping at Hayward Field and, and where, where track fans would, you know, 10,000 fans would be going crazy for him. And, and that was what made him special is he was a, he was a broad-minded guy. He, he not only loved he – lo- he was very competitive, but he loved talking to the Russians in Mexico City. Uh, and afterwards, when he became a, uh, on the Olympic Committee, he loved mixing it up with people from different countries. And so that, that's another one of his legacies, not only the courage to sort of defy everybody and say, hey, I've got a back, backwards over the high jump style that, that can work. That took courage, particularly for a high school sophomore. He was innovative, but he also had this perspective to see beyond the track, beyond the field, um, a, a bigger picture about human beings. And, and he made the world a better place because of it. Bob Welch, I appreciate your time. Uh, the Wizard of Foz is the book. Dick Fosbury passed away over the weekend. Bob, thanks for joining us to, to talk about him. John, it was my honor. Thank you so much. There it is. Good stuff. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I go to middle school, and I hear all about the Fosbury flop. I come to the state of Oregon, and I go, hey, Dick Fosbury, that, this is where it came from? This was invented here? Uh, it's, uh, it's like Tillamook uh, ice cream and Nike shoes and Dick Fosbury. Uh, coming up, we're going to play some Punch It audio. We have the best sound from all around, including uh, some Stephen A. Smith, and some Dana Altman, and certainly University of Portland uh, women's head coach Michael Meek. Plus, we'll talk about the movement in the NBA from Jimmy Garoppolo to where does Aaron Rodgers end up. Leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano, live from the Bet MGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. I'm in the Bet MGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino. Uh, we'll be talking with the Sportsbook Manager, Justin, who is going to pop by here in a little bit. Uh, Steven's here as well. Steven, I noticed you were wandering around. What were you doing wandering around this casino? Oh, you know me. Uh, just checking. I'm checking out the lines. I-, I was seeing if they had the University of Portland women's line on there. I could not find that. Mm-hmm. I may have to go ask somebody to get a special line on that one, but uh, that's what I was—that's what I was specifically looking for. I was also looking at uh, some of the NIT action. You know, that starts up tomorrow as well. I'm all about it. Well, are you—are you really going to bet on the NIT? Yeah. Why that, not? That kind of scares me. No, see, you gotta—they're very mediocre teams in the NIT. Here's the thing, John. You have value right there, though, because. We talked about Oregon not having the juice. Yeah. What is their motivation to play? UC Irvine, they have a lot of motivation to play. You go UC Irvine money line, you're going to get, you know, two, you know, plus 250, 
plus 300, you can do that all across the board. You just take all the underdogs. It's a well, lot of value. A lot you, of value. So there, you're, looking at, you're looking for opportunities yeah, and value. Yeah, yeah I'm looking for uh, to okay. capitalize on these 20-year-old college kids that aren't motivated. Judah, when you hear Steven talking about wagering on NIT games, do you do what I do and go, oh, I might, I might have to intervene here? When I first met the guy, yeah, but uh, now I know this is what this is what brings him joy. This is what uh, keeps him okay. moving. So I'm, I did laugh when Jerry Palm was talking about you know expanding the tournament, and he's like, "Well, no one's gonna like it except for you know the the gamblers the out there." I'm and, like, and Stephen was nodding. Oh, I heard that. Yeah, <laughs> Stephen was like, "You're speaking my love language now. Love Put 80 teams in this tournament." It's the love language for Stephen. Oh, I'm it's all so about good. it. Uh, all right, let's play some punch it audio. We got great sound. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Jimmy G. Jimmy Garoppolo to the Raiders, Bill Barnwell on ESPN. Talked about this, uh, willed it into being... But uh, a reuniting of Josh McDaniels and Jimmy Garoppolo in Vegas. Punch it. For Jimmy Garoppolo, I think it does make sense for the Raiders. This is a team that does need to save money. And in the big picture, look at this deal. Three years and $67.5 million reportedly per Adam Schefter. That's a much cheaper price than what Derek Carr was going to come in on and what Aaron Rodgers would come in on in a possible trade. So if you want that mix of veteran stability, obviously some injury concerns to Jimmy Garoppolo, but you know he's a winner. You know he can get the ball to your playmakers. And now you save some money to kind of help fix a defense that has been bad for about 15, 20 years or so now. I feel like there's kind of a middle ground here that makes sense for Jimmy Garoppolo signing with the Raiders. So, logical move to me. Look, I like the move for Jimmy. I don't think, obviously, he had a future in San Francisco. Uh, I think the Raiders roster, uh, you saw how many close games, how many one-score games they lost last year. It's a team that could be a lot better without adding a lot. And I think he is in the genre of Derek Carr. Like, I don't think it's, you know, I don't, I think the Raider fans are delusional if they think they're getting a huge upgrade. They're just getting a different version of a pretty steady, decent quarterback. But you can't put this team on the shoulders of Jimmy Garoppolo and ask him to go win. That's, he's not that kind of QB. Uh, I think it, it's a change of scenery move uh, as the Raiders get some new scenery and Garoppolo gets new scenery. We'll see how it goes. Uh, meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers still up in the air. Packers president and CEO Mark Murphy talking about why the Packers let Rodgers talk to the Jets. Punch it. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, I mean, I can't get into all the details, but, you know, it's a situation where I think we wanted uh, to help Aaron achieve what he wanted as well as the Packers and hopefully, uh, you know, create a situation where it's kind of a win for both sides. Interesting win for both sides mentality. Stephen A. Smith thinks it would be huge if Aaron Rodgers goes to the AFC and Aaron Rodgers goes to the New York market and Aaron Rodgers takes a New York Jets franchise, assuming he lands there. He takes a New York Jets franchise that hasn't been to a Super Bowl since 1969 and he ends up winning a Super Bowl. I mean, you talk about something that just offsets mm -hmm. all of the criticism that has been aimed in his direction in recent memory. That would certainly do it. Some of the 
outlying, I'll call them outlying media outlets, are reporting that the trade is already done, that Rodgers is heading to the Jets, others waiting for confirmation. Judah, do you have anything new on that, or it just appears that Aaron Rodgers is likely to end up with the New York Jets? Uh, it's likely. Uh, you know, a bunch of Jets players were tweeting about it, inferring it. I don't know why it's not quite official yet until uh, Shefty and Rappaport break it and say it. Uh, uh, it's not quite official. and Maybe Roger's just saving it for Pat McAfee tomorrow. He has a regular uh, Tuesday appearance on the show. Stay tuned. Uh, I don't think it's going to be long, but it looks like uh, it looks like Aaron Rodgers will end up with the Jets. Hey, John, let me ask yeah. you this real quick. Yeah. If, if Rodgers does indeed go to the Jets, does that make them the AFC East favorite over the Bills? No. No. Even with that roster? I think one of the best, the best defense in the AFC last year. The, the, the gambler in you is going to say that. You're always looking for value. Yeah, there's value there. But, you know, I haven't – look, I don't know. I, I, I haven't given up on the on the Bills yet. Yeah. Like, I'm still looking at the Bills and Josh Allen and how, that, how good they were. And, like, I just think they ran into a snowstorm and a really – and a snowstorm of a football team in the Bengals in the playoffs. Otherwise, we might be talking about – did the, you know the Bills might have been in the Super Bowl? I, they're not far away from the Super Bowl. How can how can you put the Jets in front of them? And the emotional, they everything had to deal with Demar Hamlin. Like that yeah. had to have played into it. But you know, I, me and Judah were talking about this when you were gone. Like the Jets had the number one defense in the AFC. Yeah, they had the offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. They have a great roster. It, I, I just wonder if Aaron Rodgers is that you know quote unquote missing piece to that to that team. He might be. Speaking of the missing piece. Uh, shooting was the missing piece for the University of Oregon in the Pac-12 basketball tournament as they lost badly to UCLA. Dana Altman talking about the inability to shoot and how it hurt his team. Punch it. Yeah, we um, didn't hit any threes, which we needed to hit a few of the open ones that we had. And um, so that I thought really hurt us the difference. They went nine for 19. We went three for 19. So that has been a problem for us all year. And it really was a problem today. I thought we had some really good looks and and just didn't get them. I, I liked the way we battled on the boards. Uh, they had given us problems on the boards, but we out-rebounded them uh, 40 to 30. I thought our guys really did a good job of competing there. But uh, Tiger got it going, and, and uh, you know we did a poor job of adjusting on him. Tiger Campbell uh, did get it going. Oregon had no answer. The Ducks aren't done, though. They are moving on to the NIT, the National Invitation Tournament. They are a number one seed. They get UC Irvine, 8 o'clock Wednesday, Matthew Knight Arena. First round game, 32-team tournament. Uh, you know, these teams met earlier in the season. The Anteaters beat the Ducks. They're part of the reason why the Ducks aren't in the tournament. And now they're finding them in the NIT. Uh, we're going to find out if Oregon wants to play another game. I said I didn't want to see another game. We're going to be forced to see a game on Wednesday. Do the Ducks players want to play another game? If they do, I think we will see them win at home, Matthew Knight Arena, uh, late in the season. It's a wonderful opportunity for them to avenge a loss. But let's find out, like, you know, do they have that kind of motivation? Do they have that heart? Meanwhile, University of Portland women's team, they made the field in the women's tournament, NCAA tournament. They're dancing. Second time in four years that Michael Meek's team has won the WCC tournament. He was on this show talking about how happy he is for his seniors. Punch it. Just awesome. I mean, I, it's such a surreal feeling. I think the, the team feels that way, and we have 
uh, five seniors that played on that 2020 team that that you know kind of made a similar run and and won the league tournament. But then of course the next day the the um, the, the tournament was canceled. So it's just an amazing feeling for them and just the work they put in and uh, the togetherness they've shown and just just really proud of this team. Great story. They get Oklahoma in a 12 seed versus 5 seed game. Keep an eye on the Pilots. I looked at Oklahoma's season. They, you know, they had a they have a common opponent in BYU. Uh, University of Portland played them closer than Oklahoma did. I don't know. It's a little bit of a stretch when you talk about matchups, but you know you got a Portland team that's not traveling very far, going to LA, playing against an Oklahoma team that you know tied for the best regular season record in their conference. They were 14 and four in the regular season. They did not win their conference tournament. End up as a five seed, and uh, you know don't count Michael Meek and a very experienced University of Portland women's team out in this big dance. Jay Billis on ESPN talking about some teams he likes in the tournament. Here are some under-the-radar picks when you're filling out your bracket. Punch it. I like UConn. I think they're playing well, even though they got beat by Marquette in the tournament. Marquette's legit. I think they're an Elite Eight team. Uh, so I, I like Marquette coming out of the bottom part of that. And uh, and Duke is playing really well now. Like I think Duke is 17-1 and one when they have their full complement of players. Oh, Jay Billis spinning it for Duke one, once in all. Weird. That's weird, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Yeah, in the end, he's like, when they have all their players, what about everybody else when they have all their players? When they play on a Saturday night after 5 p.m. <laughs> with a full roster, they're undefeated. Yeah, no, I, I mean, Duke has been playing well. They've been playing better, but, uh, you know, they're at they're right, a five seed. They're playing Oral Roberts. That's, uh, that's a sneaky matchup there, John. Yeah, and Oral Roberts, as Jerry Palm told us earlier, really experienced uh, great shooting team. Have some guys that have been to the Elite Eight. They know how to win games. Keep an eye on uh, Oral Roberts uh, in an upset there. Uh, why does everybody like UConn? Why why have they emerged as a sweetheart? They're 16 to one. I checked them on the BetMGM board here at Spirit Mountain. 16 to one to win the thing. I've seen numerous people today have them in their Final Four. Why do they like UConn? You know, UConn's one of those teams that. At the start of the year, they're really good, right? There's a lot of hype around them. They started out really well in the season. But, John, they're an analytical darling. You, you go look at Ken Palm, they're number four in the nation in Ken Palm as a four seed in the tournament. So, you know, Ken Palm has them as one of the best teams in the nation right now. Offensively, they've been really good. Defensively, they're really good. And I think that's what you look for. The question that you have for them is Dan Hurley as his coach, right? In the last two years, they've had expectations also to do something in the tournament, and they've choked the last two years. Can he get over that hump? But I think talent-wise, this team is as good as anybody in the nation. And the fact that this year in college basketball, there's no real elite monster teams, it's open for anybody. So I think UConn is a sneaky team that can get in there as a four seed because analytically, like, they are really good compared to a lot of teams. Blazers had a tough one. Uh, you know, it feels like they've just fallen off. Are they tanking now? Are they not tanking? Pelicans led by as much as 39 in a 127-110 win over the Blazers. Here's Trey Murphy hitting a bunch of threes. Punch it. Trey, deep three. And, and you know what? You're going to need Trey to shoot Portland out of this zone. Trey, nice ball fake. And another. Ooh. He's up to 30 and counting. Trey, if they can find him, Larry sets the pin. Shooter. Trey, Got back it. in. 39 and counting. There it is. Don't leave a guy named Trey open. That's your tip for this week. Are the Blazers, what are they doing, man? What are they doing? 
I mean, I feel like they've been tanking just without saying it, but now Dame missed last game. Uh, you know, they have a legitimate chance to have the sixth worst record in the NBA this season, which would give them a 9% chance at Victor Wimbanyama. And if that happens, John, I think they are le- right away, they are one of the better teams of the Western Conference. That's their best path to get to be. But is the mistake that they waited so long to tank? Because you can tank without tanking. Uh, they went on a little run there and won a couple of games that maybe they could have, uh, you know, orchestrated better. They could have. Are they bad at tanking? They are. I, I was talking to one of my friends, and he said they're bad at winning and they're bad at losing. That, like, that's just how the Blazers are in general. They're just bad at everything, whether they want to win or they want to lose. So, like, I, I don't know, man. They need to tank the rest of the season. They're not going to make the playoffs, and even if they do, it's not going to do anything. So they need to try to get as many ping-pong balls as they can because uh, Victor Wimbanyama, he is a game-changer. That can change a franchise around. 14 regular season games to go. How do you tank? How do you lose without uh, being obvious about it? Well, the thing is, is this team's not very good anyways, so it may not be that hard, John. They have a tough schedule at the end of the year. I mean, they've been losing with Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons. They played really well against Philadelphia. They blew that game. Dame sets out the next game. I think you just kind of rest guys you know, one at a time, and this team's just not good enough really to win games. So I don't think it's going to be that hard to tank, and it won't be noticeable. Just because the roster isn't great. So right you're saying that they're not really tanking. They just this is who they, they are. They just yeah. They just kind of stink. Yeah. yeah. They could have helped themselves earlier in the year. They would have followed my advice. I told them to tank before the season started. I, I'm with you. you. Remember that? I do. <laughs> Should have gone into tank mode on opening night. <laughs> hey guys, appreciate you coming, but uh, we're not here to win this year. We're here to get to the lottery. Let's go. Uh, speaking of which, we're in a casino. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to the manager of Bet MGM Sportsbook here at Spirit Mountain. Stay tuned. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano, live from the Bet MGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. I'm in the casino. I'm in the sportsbook specifically at Spirit Mountain, Bet MGM Sportsbook. Uh, I am joined by a guy who is now a frequent guest on this show. Justin Ballinger is the sportsbook manager here at Bet MGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino. I have in front of me the college basketball futures. I could tell you all the odds to win the NCAA tournament. But, Justin, let's just start with what the scene will be like here, you know, Thursday and Friday as this NCAA tournament kicks off. What's going to be like in here? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, first of all, John. You bet. Appreciate it. Um, we are very excited because we expect it, you know, to be just, just absolutely rocking in here. You know, we'll be opening early. We'll be fully prepared for the first game at 9.15 in the morning. And we hope to keep that magic going you know, until 9.15 at night while all the games, uh, you know, come to a conclusion. We plan on, you know, the entire weekend really just being a uh, fun environment to be at Spirit Mountain Casino. Now, I haven't counted, like, video screens and stuff like that, but you probably know how many games you can have on and uh, what you'll have going on during the game, during the actual event. Right. So we, uh, you know, we have about 18 TVs in here, and we have, you know, four games going at any given time. So we should uh, – any angle that you're sitting at in the room, you should be able to find a, your game that you're looking for. <laughs> I love that. Uh, look, I, I when I, first thing I did when I got here is I went over to the to the counter and I started looking for the odds to win the tournament. And you got it on the board. You have the spreads; they're already up. And so, what what can people expect to find when they walk in the sports book? Well, yeah, as you as you mentioned, you know, obviously the uh, the main stuff. Who's going to win the tournament? Um, we got the spreads for each game, but in addition to that, there are some pretty cool prop bets that are already opened. I believe we'll be adding more as the week goes on. But 
Um, a couple that I thought were pretty interesting just going through it, um, you know, there will uh, any 12, 13, 14, or 15 seed beat a, you know, 5, 4, 3, or 2 seed? Yeah. So, you know, yes gives you four chances to, yeah. to pull it off there. Yeah, a 12 is going to beat a 5. Like, yeah. that happens. So what kind of odds do you get on that, like a 12 over a 5? You know, that was my first thought was, wow, that seems like it would happen. So, of course, the yes was minus 700, yeah. you know. Okay, that, so. okay. But maybe you want to go bold and say right. no, you know. You're right. Who knows? Okay. Change it up this year. Yeah. Uh, when you uh, when you guys get the spreads and you get the prop bets, are they coming to you from BetMGM or where? Like, who is providing that? Yeah. Service? Yeah. So uh, we're partnered with BetMGM here, and uh, they pretty much provide the opening lines for us. You know, for all the props, all the uh, spreads and stuff. We can we can you know ask for certain things, and if it's in the realm of you know possibility, they'll give it to us or not. But and then, um, as we talked about a little last time, you know, based on how we, you know, take our bets and our action mm -hmm. in here, we're, we're kind of able to move them independently from the rest of the BetMGM properties around the country. So that's a nice advantage for us. That's interesting. So how often does that happen? How often do you see, like, hey, we're going to move that a half a point or we're going to move it a point? Like, you know, how often are you guys having those conversations? You no, know, it's, it's not too often, but I can tell you if Oregon or Oregon State are playing football, it's absolutely probably really? happening yeah. just because you know we, we correspond with guys in new jersey and i'm not sure that you know maybe yeah. the oregon interest isn't as right. much on the east coast you yeah. know so we have to watch it a lot closer out here you know yeah i always that's that's interesting because when i uh, when i'm looking for things i look at the bowl the initial bowl lines and i will often see a spread that just jumps out to me is that's not right mm -hmm. you know and i think people who really know the teams and know the programs you know understand that like you know, regionally, you've had an opportunity to see a team more often than maybe people in another part of the country. That It, it gives you some insight into it. Um, you know, were you here last year at the NCAA tournament? Where have you been on the – I was, yeah. You, okay. This will be my third one. Okay, here. so give me an idea, like, you know, the typical person who's wandering in here Thursday or Friday. Mm -hmm. Because I saw something online. It said that the average person takes six hours off on Thursday <laughs> and Friday to watch basketball. Like Man. so, who's wandering in here Thursday and Friday? A lot of <laughs> Stephen's got uh, his yeah. hand up over there. <laughs> I say a lot of people with uh, probably some pretty upset bosses, you know, at home. Um, but it's it's cra It's everyone, you know, all ages, you know, both gender. It's it's there's no limit to you yeah. know who. It's it's kind of crazy to think like is anything getting done in the country right, right now? It should just be a holiday. It should yeah. It should be like a four day weekend, Thursday Friday off. We all understand. Nothing's happening. Absolutely. America comes to a crawl. Uh, Justin Bollinger is our guest. Uh, at, at Ballinger is our guest. He is uh, the sports book manager here at the Bet MGM Spirit Mountain Casino. Um, you're partial to Gonzaga, are you not? I am. But I it's am. not reflected in the spreads, okay? But I'm just saying, as a Zags fan, how are you feeling about this tournament? You know, this year is a lot different from the previous five or six, I'd say, you know, they spent the entire time at the top of the pole all those yep. other seasons and, you know, it's kind of locked in as a one seed, you know, as of February type thing. And this year has been uh, more of a challenge. You know, they played a lot more close games, which I think will bode well for them, right. you know, come tournament time instead of blowing everyone out by 25. But you can tell that it's, it's, uh, it's, still, it's definitely a uh, work in progress. So we'll, I'm hoping yeah. they peak, you know, at the right time here. But you also have to like the way they finished the year. And I noticed you got them at 4-1 to one to win the West region, 4-1 to one to get to the Final Four. Um, and I think that's really interesting. They're in that same bracket as UCLA and Kansas. 
in UConn, but that's not a bad bet uh, when you look at that. Right. It's uh, it's a tight bracket, but as you said, they they have been they have been coming on at the right time, and you know it's the way this tournament's just set up. Every region seems so wide open to me, and like you said, looking at the odds here, I mean they're they're in it with Kansas, UCLA, and UConn. There's the you know pretty much all the same size favorites there to take the West. So. Do you have any other bets or props that you like or you find interesting? Uh, you know, you mentioned the one about uh, a 12 seed winning, uh, beating a 5 seed, but what else do you like? You know, another one I actually came across that we have is uh, which state will the NCAA champion be from? Hmm. And um, I don't have those odds right in front of me, but, yeah. you know, it's pretty interesting if, you know, if you like a team and there might be, I guess, for example, Gonzaga, yeah. you know, they're right. the only team in Washington, so... Maybe if you take Washington, maybe the odds will be a little better than the outright. <laughs> I like that. If you're, if you're a big fan of, uh, you know, UC Santa Barbara, you'd get them, plus you get UCLA. Mm -hmm, you know, exactly. you get some value. As Steven says, as Steve, talking Steven's love language now, getting <laughs> value. Uh, State of Texas has to be pretty good with Texas and Houston both being in there. And Indiana's got Purdue. Mm -hmm. uh, keep an eye on them. And then Alabama's got Alabama. So uh, that, that won't be a bad one. I, I just think it's really interesting. And I think, you know, from in your world, compare like a Super Bowl to a March Madness. What You know, the handle that you're taking in. Yeah, so it's, uh, to me, March Madness is a lot more tiring, a lot more draining, just because mm -hmm. the Super Bowl is, you know, one day, all the big bets come in that day, but you're kind of mentally prepared. You know, this is going to be the one day for the whole week. Yeah. March Madness, you come in, and it's it's four Super Bowls pretty much. You know, the handles might be a little less each day, you know, yeah. comparatively, but by the time the weekend's finished, it's it's the same handle, if not more, than the Super yeah. Bowl, and it's just long longer hours, you know, more games. and It's fun, though. I like it. Is the Thursday, the Friday, the Final Four, the championship game – like when you when you look at March Madness from a business perspective on your end, you know is the is the uh, I guess the spotlight on the front end of this tournament or the back end of this tournament? It is definitely on the front end. Hmm. Um, those first first four days are are the king of at least the betting and the environment in the sports book. It's can't top those four. I, I think it's fascinating, Judah. You must be, you must be salivating here. You're missing out on uh, being here at the sports book, but. <laughs> Uh, Judah, from our guest's perspective, you know, Super Bowl and March Madness, I would think from a March Madness perspective, like, uh, I, would, I, th I would think that is a bigger opportunity for the business to kind of reach more people. Like, or is a Super Bowl, I guess the Super Bowl, you have the casual fan who tunes in for this, you know, but I don't know if the casual fan's placing a wager. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It, it might honestly, you know, each year go back and forth but it's it's like the super bowl like we were talking about you know national holidays it yeah. seems like you know the super bowl you know my my mom who doesn't watch a single yeah. sports game you know she's in front she's of the watching tv that. watching the super bowl yeah what about the okay so i i posed this question once in vegas to uh jay cornegay who runs the westgate superbook okay and i asked him who's betting on the super bowl versus who's betting on march madness and he said uh, my Super Bowl better is an older person who might be betting a little more. My March Madness person has got a ball cap on and eating a hot dog, and but they're a rabid fan. Does that hold up in here? That absolutely holds up in here. Yeah, they, those are you know the guys that they might not bet as much per game, but you know they're they're playing, they're spacing it out for all 16 games each day, and yeah, probably a 
little younger crowd, yeah. more uh, devoted specifically to the sport. Are you doing anything special from a bracket standpoint, uh, contest-wise, or is it just kind of the offerings that are going on uh, that you get in any sports book in America? So we are doing um, a little bit extra. We have a promotion uh, period starting tomorrow morning, Tuesday, at as soon as we open, and it's going to be uh, every Coyote Club member who places a bet at our desk will get a, a two-way raffle ticket for every $20 they spend. And then on Sunday, at the end of the week, the fourth day of the tournament, we're going to be wheeling out a big uh, drum for, for guests to drop those tickets into. Mm -hmm. We're going to be pulling names Sunday evening for uh, things such as, you know, signed basketballs, um, some signed Oregon basketballs. There's some, you know, gift cards with things like the Beaver Store. Um, and then we got just some cash giveaways as well. So it should be a... Should be a fun week starting tomorrow morning with that promotion and giveaway. Justin, I appreciate you stopping by. You're going to see a whole bunch of our listeners in this sports book for March Madness. So keep it, so. keep it up. Have some fun with it. Yeah, Make sure absolutely. you hydrate, man. It's like it's like your Olympics right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll uh, we'll be we'll be prepped for Thursday morning. I appreciate you. All right, leave it here. Coming up, we have the five at five, the five biggest stories in sports. Top of the hour. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano, live from the BetMGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. I am broadcasting live at Spirit Mountain. I'm in the BetMGM Sportsbook. Uh, Judah Newby, how you doing, man? Oh, you were here phenomenal. last time. I was. Did you miss it? I do. You miss it this time? I do. I do miss it. But, uh, you know, you guys are bringing me close to the action, so vibes are high over here. Steven's wandering around the casino right now. I'm a little worried about that. I feel like <laughs> i got to watch after him. I told him to shoot content, and uh, I think he's just scanning lines instead. I think he's getting uh, I think he's getting some food. I, I, his stomach <laughs> was rumbling. I think he's off getting food. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I want to talk about this for a second, but it's really it's interesting to me, like, how March Madness captures people in a different way than maybe the Super Bowl does. And if we could kick this around for just a second, I just I think it's interesting as I was talking to the sportsbook manager that it's a different consumer for the Super Bowl than it is March Madness. Like there is a sweet spot that you know it's like a Venn diagram. You've got some crossover, but it's not like like I don't see the same customer for the for March Madness as you as I do the Super Bowl in and what I pointed out, you know, Jay Cornegay uh, in Vegas, who runs the Westgate Superbook, he's talking about, you know, younger betters, baseball caps, eating hot dogs. That's your March Madness crew. It, you know, a little more, maybe a little more uh, younger, maybe a little, maybe the wagers aren't as big, but they're more of them. Uh, you know, how do you, like, what do you make of that, Judah? And is that reflective of just the audience for those things, or is there something else going on? Are you saying uh, Jim Goldstein isn't uh, coming through to bet March no. Madness with a bunch of $10 bets? Yeah. <laughs> That's my game. I, you know, I, I definitely identify with uh, with your guests saying, look, man, it's a younger generation with uh, probably a smaller bankroll, as we say. But that's the beauty of it. You know, you get 68 teams, you get all these games, and you want to get it down with as much as you can get, reasonably so, and maybe a couple of futures along the way. But you're right. It's a different demographic. I love the Super Bowl prop bets myself and picking the game, but uh, March Madness is special as well. Yeah, I just think that's interesting, too, when you, when you look at the, you know, the, the Super Bowl is one day, 
It's a huge event. There's a ton of money that's wagered on it. But March Madness, it's a festival that goes on for three-plus weeks. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, live from the Bet MGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. We got a lot to talk about this hour. It's the happy hour. I am at BetMGM Sportsbook Spirit Mountain. If you are in the neighborhood, if you want to stop by, we do have some giveaways on site, including Spirit Mountain giving away some stays at Spirit Mountain to people who are in-house. You got to be here to enter that, though. But uh, great time. Steven's still wandering the casino. I'm getting worried about him, Judah. He's uh, wandering about. This is sec- uh, second home. He'll be fine. Yeah, I know. He walked right in, and I'm not saying he's a high roller, but he kind of walked in with a strut when he came through the doors yeah. of Spirit Mountain. So uh, we'll see. We'll get an update from him on what he is seeing. Um, did have a conversation with somebody. I, are you a big gambler? Are you a? Uh, are you somebody who plays card games, blackjack, poker? Baccarat? Myself? Yeah, you. What was my talking to? Sorry, I was talking to Mike in Portland. Is, uh, oh. Is, oh, he's holding. Is, okay. is, I, you know, I didn't even get his name. I just I just know his number. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's on the line. He's, like, talking to me right now. I'm like, nah, I, I know who you are. Right. But, uh, no, no, I don't really play cards all that much, no. But uh, I'll learn if it's with the right people. I played a little Hold'em in high school, but, you know, low stakes Hold'em. All right, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna tell a story later this hour about a Pac-12 coach who told me while I was in Vegas that I needed to go play cards, <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you how that went. Coming up, uh, I was in Vegas for darn near two weeks, off and on. Had a little break in the middle. Took the kids on the first leg. Very different trip on the second leg. I'll just say that. Uh, Mike in Portland's called in. Before we do the five at five, let's take Mike's call. Mike, what's going on, man? John, I just want to give you something hot off the press. Okay. ESPN is going to televise Colorado spring yep. practice game. So I yeah, I said that earlier in the show. I think it's a big oh, big deal. That. No, it's okay, but that's a big deal for Colorado. Hey, I I thought about you because I was at the Pac-12 tournament and I was at I was at the Arizona Arizona State game, and there was an Arizona fan in the front row who says, hey, I listen to your show, I stream it. You tell Mike in Portland he's right, they're going to win 10 games. Oh, yeah, they're going to win, man, I'm telling you. Hey, they're going to beat the Ducks. They're going to beat all these people. Say, John, in order to to be the best, man, you got to play the best. You can't have a weak schedule and expect to go to a championship game, man. It it don't work like that. All right. Anyway, man, talk to you later. Appreciate it. Uh, I, look, you, Colorado's first five games, it's a gauntlet. It's brutal. Non-conference schedule includes TCU, includes Nebraska, has Colorado State on it. Then they start conference play. They get Oregon and USC back-to-back. Uh, that's five games. And if Deion Sanders comes through that five-game period with three wins or more, he's going to have everybody in the country – talking about what the possibilities are for Colorado. There will be a lot of excitement about Colorado. But I think there's a chance he could come through those first five games and he could be one and four. And 
I that's where I I start to think about let yes he's got skill position players yes he's got some exciting defensive backs and you know it'll be fun to see them with uh, you know essentially a offense that has its own head coach and a defense that has its own head coach it's a model that Alabama has used successfully but I'm still wondering about the offensive and defensive lines at Colorado will they be able to compete with teams like Washington Oregon State Utah that are physical and uh, are going to challenge you at the line of scrimmage now that is a question for year one probably game one or two for Colorado let's just see do they get pushed around do they give up 330 rushing yards and you know to TCU or do they look like uh, I think we'll find out pretty quickly if Colorado is going to be a factor. The spring game is going to be exciting, though. It's already a win. It makes the hire of Deion Sanders fantastic, and it makes it a success before you've even started. They sold 30,000 tickets to the spring game. Wow. ESPN's going to the spring game. Hell, I might be at the spring game. <laughs> I do uh, not to steer this in the direction of, like, will they or won't they in terms of um, realignment, but what's your read on what Rick George is trying to do here with, with Dion? Because – Everything I'm seeing is is saying that Colorado is – it feels like he's trying to leverage the Dion thing for all that it's worth before they actually play a football game because their stock yeah. at the university will never be higher right now. And it seems of those, quote-unquote, four-corner schools that keep getting, you know, chucked in there with Brett, your yeah. mark, et cetera, that they are the ones that most – that might be, you know, welcoming that narrative the most. What do you think? Here, here's what I think's going on at Colorado. I'll just – I'll tell you what I know, and I'll tell you what I think. What I know is I've talked to multiple Pac-12 presidents, meaning the actual people who are in the room making the decisions. Now, they're not telling me everything that's going on in the room, but they are telling me that they believe that all 10 schools are staying in the conference, that everybody's in alignment. They do believe that the final number is going to come in within range or ahead of what the Big 12 is getting at $31.6 million per school annually in media rights distribution that includes tier one and tier two rights also they're they're going to probably pad that by saying hey look we've licensed our data for sale john wilner of the mercury news had a great story on how you know they have licensed their their data they're talking about data nobody else has licensed their data they might be able to get a couple million dollars a year out of the data but i think the 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 full package is going to be very competitive with the big 12. so Logic tells you and tells me that if the money's the same, Judah, I'm going to make you one of the four corner schools. Mm -hmm. The money's the same. You're about the same, even if it's a little less. Are you really going to drag your non-revenue generating sports into the Big 12, have your golf team playing at Louisville and Baylor and Houston and UCF, and or are you going to stay put in the Pac-12, where you only have to compete against 10 or 11 or 12 schools versus 16 for about the same money. Logic tells me you're staying put, yeah. unless it's a no-brainer. Two things going on. One, it makes more sense for a four-corner school, and I'm kind of playing de devil's advocate here. Yeah. It makes more sense for a school in Boulder that's already been in the Big 12, obviously, and is the easternmost of the Pac-12 schools to make that jump. They, to me, geographically, that's not that bad. Like, they probably have... 
What do you think Boulder to Seattle is compared to Boulder to Louisville? I mean, yeah, but I don't... do you you want to be in the playoff? You you want to compete against sixteen or against ten? There you go. Yeah, I would I would say ten for sure. But here's the thing, also with realignment, you never know when it's going to come up again. And to me, if you're Rick George, and look, I'm not a huge fan of what what they're doing, and and you know if they're making themselves available in the narrative, even I think I'm not a huge fan of that, but. Realignment's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Even after media rights is resolved this time around, you right. know, next time 2029, around, it, you it want to be back looked up in 2029. at. Exactly, yeah. You want to be looked at as a university that, you know, sees yourself as ambitious, that is looking on the, you know, on the front foot, as it were, about your best opportunities. Like, that almost makes you look more attractive and more appealing if you take this posture now rather than a university that says, eh, you know what, I'm skittish. You know, I'm not a really big fan of it. Unity yeah. in the Pac-10 conference. Uh, I, don't it's move more, in, yeah. I don't move unless it's a no-brainer. And Rick, look, Rick George, he, I think what he's trying to do here and what Colorado may be trying to do here is keep everybody happy. Like, let's assume they are exploring their option. They're looking at it. They're kicking the tires, which I, I wouldn't blame anybody for doing. Everybody should be doing this. Everybody should be going – is this the right place? I can tell you on my drive from the Portland area to Spirit Mountain, I talked for about 30 minutes with an athletic director who's doing just that, who is kicking the tires. Uh, there, it's not a Pac-12 AD. It is uh, one of the schools that's been mentioned as a possible addition to the Pac-12 or Big 12. AD's calling me to go, hey, what do you know? What is going on? And I, you know, we're sharing some information. And I'm telling this guy – this athletic director, you should absolutely be looking at the Pac-12, looking at the Big 12. But I think the better move for some of these schools is to sit tight because you don't want to jump into and make a move of conference. And then again, I think in 2029 we're going to see another cycle of this where people go, okay, or we're in the right place. Uh, unless it's a no-brainer, you don't move. Unless, you know, it, unless you're SMU and the Pac-12 says, we're going to cut you in. And, yeah, you're not going to get a full distribution in the first three years, but after that you're jumping up and you're going to get $32 million a year. SMU's going, that's a no-brainer, rather than stay where we are. So I would investigate that. But there's another element here. And Rick George is on record. He told me and John Wilner on our podcast, nobody's leaving for the Big 12. We're not leaving to the Big 12. I don't think it's his decision. I think it's his president hmm. and the Board of Regents there at Colorado that are that will ultimately make the decision. But I think he's got a football coach in Deion Sanders who wants to recruit the state of Texas. So if you're Rick George, I think you have to at least go, hey, we're exploring this to keep Deion Sanders happy. But the truth is, how long is Deion Sanders going to be at Colorado? Do you make a decision at Colorado to move conferences, to uproot everything, the costs involved with it? Do you make that decision based on a football coach that you know if he wins eight games, he's probably gone? Right. Like, do you make that move? I don't make it. And Rick George also said he's the he's the athletic director who said, you know, on the record in that podcast that he did with us, he said, I'm not leaving a 10-team conference to go play against 16. He says it makes no sense. And I've heard that numerous times in the last week that, you know, we all kind of looked at the presidents and the counselor or the chancellors who made that move years ago or, they, or months ago that, you know, they said we're going to expand the playoff from four teams to 12 teams. It's effective in 2024. The Power Five Conference commissioners plus Jack Swarbick of Notre Dame didn't get it done. We're going to do it. It kind of flew under the radar. We all went, 
oh, good, they're doing what fans wanted. But I think the truth of that college football playoff expansion, the dirty little secret in college football playoff expansion is the presidents and chancellors didn't like the chaos and the uncertainty and the instability in the market. And they added the expansion of the playoff to include automatic qualifiers because they said, look, uh, this, will, this could help settle down expansion. I think it was 100% a strategy play by the presidents and chancellors nationally to do what the Power Five conference commissioners failed to do. They said, look, uh, you know, Oregon, you don't need to go to the Big Ten to get to the playoff. You can get to the playoff easier, in fact, in the Pac-12. Washington, same thing. Utah, same thing. So I think, you know, I had somebody tell me that, you know, I asked about Oregon's commitment to the Pac-12. And somebody told me Oregon is way in the boat. I'm talking about somebody who knows. Oregon is in the boat. They're they are happy to be in the Pac-12. It's not about money for Oregon. For Oregon, it's about getting to the playoff. It's about getting Phil Knight his wish and his dream for his investment. He's in his 80s now, 85, 86. He, they want to get to the playoff. They want to get him in the championship game again and take another crack. They feel like they've hired the coach to do it. And somebody, that same person said, if the conference lost the four-corner schools, Oregon would still be happy to be in the Pac-12 because now they only have to compete against six. So that's kind of Oregon's thought. Like, that's their thought process. It's not about distributions for Oregon because Oregon can just turn to Phil Knight and go, hey, you know, uh, we need you to help subsidize the program. He's been doing it all along. For Oregon, it's about access to the playoff. For Deion Sanders, it might be a little different. I do think he wants to get into Texas, and he's going, hey, if we're in the Big 12, now I can recruit Texas. But look out. What the Pac-12 may do to combat that is you add SMU because now all of a sudden Dion can say, hey, we're going to play games in the state of Texas. We're going to be playing at SMU. Now he can recruit Dallas. So uh, keep an eye on that as the strategy unfolds because what I think is going on at Colorado is I think Colorado is doing its diligence and probably doing it in a way that everybody else is doing it. But I just don't see it, Judah. I don't see any of these 10 teams leaving. And, you know, it would explain why the Pac-12 source that told me, you know, remember it was about a week ago I reported that the Pac-12 had four schools, expansion schools that they were looking at, and it was SMU, San Diego State, and then it was a weird one in the number three position. It was Colorado State. And I went, well, why would you add Colorado State if you got Colorado? I think the Pac-12 is playing a little bit of poker with Colorado on that front and saying, look, all right, if, if you're not 100% in, uh, if we lose you, we just add Colorado State. We still get the Denver market, and guess what? There's no coming back for you. So I, I actually think there's a little bit of gamesmanship going on there. I don't expect Colorado State to be put in the conference because I don't think Colorado's going to leave, but I think it's a contingency. And the fourth school, I still don't know who it is, but I'm working on it. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, there's two things I want to follow up with you about. It doesn't have to be yeah. this segment, but one, yeah. why, why do you have so many enemies on Twitter right now? No, I don't care about them. It's the well, Big Twelve. It's the I want to go the, through. It's these. the twelve anons. It's the twelve bots. You know, it's the uh, you know it. And here's the thing: like twelve anons. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't work for the Pac-12. I don't. That's not my. That's not who I serve. I work for and serve the readers and listeners. My readers at johnconzano.com, my listeners on this show, 
that's where my that's where my loyalty and allegiance is. So my goal here is not about you know the Pac-12 getting Notre Dame or all these crazy stupid things that people will throw out. Like Big 12 fans actually think you know the Big 12 is a better conference for Oregon and Washington. I'm like, in what universe is that a better conference? Like that's not happening. So my my allegiance is not to a conference, it's not to a program, it's not to a source. My allegiance is to the reader and the listener. I'm here to give people the truth, put some sunshine on this dark corner of realignment and move on from it. But I think we're – I was telling Stephen on the drive over here, I think we're like about 10 to 12 days away from the Pac-12 coming out and announcing that they've got a deal. It's within range or beats the Big 12 number, and I think everybody will sign that grant of rights – and I think uh, I, if the Pac-12 does this right, I think that they will only sign a deal that takes the contract through 2029. And at that point, they will be able to go back to the table and negotiate again before anybody else does because the rights will be up early and it'll give them an advantage in that space. And I think that's what George Kofkoff meant where he said we will catch the Big Ten eventually. He said that early and people laughed at him, but I think what he's saying is – we're going to go back to market before the Big Ten goes back to market. We'll cash in again before they do. So, but the people on Twitter, it's you know, it's a bunch of people who really badly want the Pac-12 to implode that are rooting. I'm not rooting for one or the other. I'm just telling people what I know. I'm talking to people who are in the meeting. The, the Pac-12 CEO group met a week ago or eight days ago. I've, I have talked with three people who were in that meeting in the last week. Three people who sat in that meeting. Nobody's telling me that anybody's wavering or waffling. There was some concern about the comments that the Arizona State Athletic Director made, Ray Anderson, but everybody kind of viewed that as that's just Ray Anderson kind of talking out both sides of his mouth. I don't think anybody's seriously worried about Colorado leaving, but you know, if you go back and look at some of the reporting that was made, that was done, particularly uh, you know, by those in the Big 12 footprint, there was some reporting done when the ACC had some instability a few years ago before this current deal they had with the ESPN. There was, uh, there was a whole bunch of reporting about the ACC teams joining the Big, Big 12. I just think it's kind of the fanboy message board stuff that happens when fans are rooting for, they, you know, the Big 12 fan, I get it. They don't want their conference to be locked into last place among the Power Fives. They're rooting so hard. That, that you know that oh, they want to be so much better than the Pac-12, but the truth is, the ecosystem needs both of those conferences healthy, and the media money in the Pac-12 with only 10 teams is going to be on par uh, with with the Big 12's media money, and, and in part because better media markets. You know, you've got Seattle, Salt Lake City, you've got Denver, you've got Phoenix, and and you've got you know, the Bay Area, and so you just have better schools, better academics. And better media markets, and that's why they'll be worth more money. But you know, there's some Arizona fans and some honks in Arizona that are like, "We need to be in the Big 12 conference. We need to get out of this sinking ship." Guess what? Um, you may not have an option. You may not have anywhere to go. And if you want to take the same money and go and you know fly all around the country and be part of the Big 12 and compete against more teams, um, I think you'd be a fool to do it. Leave it here. Five at five coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano, live from the Bet MGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. 
Look, I love Twitter because there's a healthy exchange of ideas on Twitter. But, uh, you know, just because somebody has an email address, sign up for a Twitter account, you uh, doesn't mean you have to pay attention to them, Judah. Non-zero non chance. Uh, one, two, three, four of those is a uh, Brett Yormark burner? Mm, I don't think so. But I did get a call right prior to the show from the Big 12 headquarters. And uh, I didn't take it because I was like, what are they calling? They can leave a message. And then I got a text, and it was from one of their communications people who uh, they're trying really hard to, um, to massage the situation because they, do, they view me as a problem. <laughs> so ask yourself this. Like, this is new to sports. We have seen this in politics, and we've seen it in business. Why do they, have to need, why do they need somebody to try to manage me? Why do they need somebody to, you know, try to reach out? Well, they're trying to create a, like they're used to wor working with people they have relationships with. What they don't know about me and the listeners of the show know about me is I don't care to have a relationship with them or anyone else or the Pac-12 or anyone else. My relationships are with sources and my relationships are with the readers and the listeners. That's who I'm here to serve. And so I just it was an interesting conversation. I got on the phone. It was with one of their communications people, and he said, oh, "Just wanted to, you know, get to know you." And he kind of there was like three kind of informal questions that were like, you know, "Hey, uh, you're doing a good job doing this and that." You know, there's a lot of small talk, and then it got to, um, "Hey, we just wanted you to know we saw that you wrote a wrote a column last week about you know the role of Endeavor and the Big Twelve and." You know, uh, we, we didn't take it as a negative thing, uh, but it, I'm like, why are you calling me? Like, why are we having this conversation? Like, do you just do good business, get taught, get caught doing good business? That You know, my job is to write about you. Like, my job is to write about the Pac-12, but my job isn't to, to be in a partnership with anybody but the reader and the listener. And I will always lean into that. I'm, I don't care what they want me to write. I just want to know what's really going on. And, I, and what I know is really going on is the Pac-12, I believe, is moving towards a deal. I think it took longer than expected because they're, they're involved with Amazon and Apple as partners, and Amazon and Apple are new to the space. Uh, I'm, I was told by somebody directly involved with the negotiation that uh, you know how the, the teams now under the current contract with ESPN and Fox, the networks get to pick the games. It's that six-day window. Right that we all hate because we don't know what time the game is kicking off. We don't know where it's going to broadcast. So the six-day window comes along, and suddenly they announce six days before the game, it's a 7.30 kickoff, and we all groan. Or they say, no, it's a 5 o'clock kickoff, and we go, okay, we can live with that. Or they say, oh, it's a noon kickoff, and we all go, yeah. you know. So apparently the conversation that the Pac-12 has to have with Apple in particular, I'm told that it's – what they expected to be a one-hour conversation about the draft order by the networks, which tells you what, there's more than one network involved. So it means to me that ESPN is involved, and I believe Amazon is involved as well. I think Amazon's going to have one Pac-12 game a week. I think it's going to be a Friday night game. Uh, it tells me that um, there are multiple parties involved. I was also told that Fox isn't out of this that Fox could come in and pick up a game here or a game there. Not going to be like a primary partner, but um, the conversation with Apple that was supposed to take an hour explaining to them how the draft order of games go on on uh, drafting order and how you pick the times and the six-day windows, that was a one-hour conversation that they had with ESPN. ESPN has done this numerous times with different conferences. 
understands totally how that works. One hour. That same conversation with Apple took a week. A week. Wow. Uh, and, and I said, how does that take a week? And they said, on every point, Apple had to turn around and go back to its attorneys. And then the attorneys had questions. And then they brought the questions back. And it was a big convoluted process. And it just tells you this is new for Apple. This is fairly new for Amazon. They're in the NFL, but they're not in the college space. Hmm. So you have a bunch of new conversations going on. So what I think is going to happen is they're going to be a deal. I think everybody's going to go, uh, hey, the money, is it in range of the Big 12? Yeah. If they beat the Big 12, the Pac-12 fans will celebrate, and the Big 12 fans will pivot and go, yeah, but they traded dollars for distribution. Mark my words. That's what they're going to say. Oh, they traded dollars, and they're on they're on Apple and Amazon, where you can't even find the games. Never mind that we can't we can't even find them now on the Pac-12 network. So this is not a new problem. Uh, in fact, I welcome them on Apple or Amazon, where I know where to find them. I don't have to subscribe to Sling or something else or watch it on my Xbox. Whatever. I don't have an Xbox, but I'm just saying hypothetically. Um, <laughs> you sold it. Um, I I just think that'll be the conversation in the end. And then the next thing will be, when is the grant of rights up? When is the deal up? It'll be 2029, I believe, because that would put him right in front of the Big Ten and the SEC so that the Pac-12 can go back to market again before anybody goes back to market. And, and I think that's what they're going to try to do. Uh, and as far as expansion, I think, I think they are going to add SMU, and I think they are going to add San Diego State, and I think they're going to call it good. And I think it's going to be tough luck for Boise State, which will then have to turn – to the Big 12 and hope that they get invited, or and Fresno State, and same thing for maybe San Jose State and UNLV. If I'm Brett Yormark of the Big 12, he I think he better have a contingency plan because he's been out selling the idea that he's going to get into that fourth window, the Pacific time zone, that's what we all call it, and he's been parading around and a lot of FaceTime, and I think it's going to be really difficult for him to go back to the Big 12 footprint at, without something to show for his efforts. And I think that something could end up being uh, Boise State or UNLV or maybe a San Jose State or Fresno State. And I think those schools would fit fine in the Big 12, and they'd be happy to be there. They don't, I don't think they would, com they would care that they're competing against, you know, 19 other schools to try to get to the playoff. I think they'd just be happy to be in a Power 5 conference. But that's where I think it's headed. You know, just a quick thing on Apple. As, as a consumer that's been watching a lot of MLS on Apple these first yeah. couple of weeks. How's it going? Really good. <laughs> it's really, really good. I kind of had a low bar of expectation. Wow. Production's awesome. Video mm. quality's awesome. Surround sound is phenomenal. Um, and so I, as someone that has that, and I don't have the Pac-12 network on my, you know, standard subscription right now for for my tv situation like i would love it on apple for me and i imagine there's got to be a lot of people in my demographic and younger that would feel the same way so if you want to get younger i would suggest that's the way to go and uh and that would be awesome for for the pac-12 in my opinion and then secondarily for apple it's a little bit different right they, they got full autonomy with the mls they don't have to worry about negotiating windows with other you know broadcasting units even games that fox picks up in soccer on the weekends are still on Apple TV as well. They don't have to, you know, be subservient to anybody. So it's a new dynamic for them. 
even if they get into yeah. the meteorite space, to be subservient, like they have to be like, oh, we, we don't get the best game of the week each and every week. That's probably one of the reasons it also took yeah. so long, I, too. I think they're going to end up, I think what's going to happen is, I think you're going to be able to go onto Apple TV and you're going to get the Pac 12 Network app as part of your Apple thing. And I think that you will have, you know, all of the content that we've seen on the Pac 12 Network will now be. Available on Apple TV. I could. I. I remember where I was. I. I asked Larry Scott, the former Pac-12 commissioner. I was at. I was in the press box at Arizona State. The Sun Devils were playing the uh, Ducks on what was like a uh, Friday night game, and uh, it was either a Thursday night or a Friday night game. And I remember this because you remember the game where the Timbers ended up in the shootout. And it yes. went on forever, and the ball was hitting the post and then hitting yeah. the other post. So we're going late October 2015. Tim- yeah. Timbers eventually win it all this year. Yeah, uh, they won it that year. It was yeah. a Thursday night, I believe, and yeah. the Ducks were in uh, ASU. Yes. Crazy, crazy game, and the Timbers were in a shootout with Sporting Kansas City. Yeah. It was a it nutty was the, night. It was uh, Vernon, at, Vernon was at quarterback. Yeah. And Addison maybe made a big yes. play late. Yep. And there was, yeah, it was, a, it was a really wild game. Halftime of that game, Larry Scott's in the in the media room, and he does this kind of impromptu news conference, which he loved to do. And uh, I asked him about Apple TV. I said, why isn't the Pac-12 network on Apple TV? And he had no idea what I was talking about. He didn't know what Apple TV was. And I knew the Pac-12 was host at that moment because I said, this is the guy in charge, and this network was his vision, and he doesn't know about a key distribution solution. Now, we've later found out the trick was that if they made any deal that the Dish Dish Network deal that they had that was a pretty good deal for the Pac-12 Network, they would have to give money back to Dish if they did any kind of deviation or add-on or if they added Apple TV, they they would have a problem. But he acted, and I believe he he really didn't know what Apple TV was in 2015. Does it worry you at all, though, that Apple TV would be so new? in this in this you know environment like you just talked about it should take an hour for that media it takes a week does that worry you at all if you're the pac-12 a little bit but given the the road that the pack average pac-12 fan has navigated in trying to get the pac-12 network in the last decade i think it's less of a problem it's less cumbersome than the things that people have gone to do i also think it was really interesting i don't know if you guys caught this about a month ago there was a news report about ESPN wanting to be the hub for all content. And I asked Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports president, I said, what does that mean? What is it like? Help me understand what ESPN is trying to do here. Because the idea was that ESPN was saying, hey, no matter what you watch, whether it's the Pac-12 network or Apple TV or Amazon or streaming a game or Sling or whatever, wherever you're getting your TV or even linear TV, uh, that you can get it all through ESPN. And I said to Bob Thompson, I said, what is that? And he says, it's a food court. He says, you walk into the food court, you know, your family's with you. Not everybody has to eat at Sabaro, right? Like, you know, your kid can go, oh, I want to go at taco time. And then, uh, you know, Anna can say, no, 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 I want, uh, I want, uh, I want sushi. And then I can go, oh, you know, I want a burger. And you all end up eating, but you can get anything you want there. So essentially the idea is ESPN becomes the food court for all sports programming, and you can go into, like, ESPN's app, and then once you're inside the app or whatever, you can pick all of these games. Now, ESPN doesn't get anything in that deal. They don't make money in that deal, but they they become the hub 
they become TV guide for the sports fan. And, but the streamers love it because all of a sudden you can get your MLS game and get your Major League Baseball game. You can get the Pac-12 network, the SEC network. You can get CBS Sports. You can get it all in the same place. So it's your food court. So it, if and if we're if that's where we're going, and again we're going there not now, not 12 months. It's going to be like five or seven years before everybody's comfortable streaming. Like my parents, they can do it. They've proven to me that they can do it. They can go to they can get on Hulu and find what they want to watch. But they're far more comfortable on like DirecTV or whatever they're used to. There's, it's, you know, the industry experts say it's five or seven years before we can get to that point. Um, so, is the Pac-12 willing to make the deal now and make, make, you know, I think it's why they need ESPN as the tier one partner. You have your main games on ESPN where everybody knows where to find them, but your normal Pac-12 network games that everybody hates, like Steven, you know, your team's playing on the Pac-12 network. Your gut isn't like, ooh, that's awesome. You know, you're like, oh, how am I going to get that? Where am I going to find it? Am I going to be able to get it on Saturday? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I agree that you need to have that brand of an ESPN just to make yourself more legitimate, I guess, in the national sense, too. Like, there's already a problem of people in the in the south or on the east not watching, staying up late to watch the Pac-12. If it's yeah. not on an ESPN, if it's on just an Apple TV or an Amazon a streaming service, you're going to get even less eyeballs on that. So there's, there's got to be some type of move where you have the ESPN there just to have some validity to it. And then also, they're on your side, right? Like we talked about this before. They'll defend ESPN is not going to attack the Pac-12. If the Pac-12 is not part of ESPN, they can bash them all they want. Like they, yeah. they're invested in the Pac-12 to have them be good. So I, I think yeah. it's benefit on both those. Yeah, things. the athletic directors in the Pac-12, I think I have not spoken to anybody who said – that they would be comfortable with 100% streaming. So I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just think there's a real allergy right now from the Pac-12. From a brand standpoint, you want – Steven's talking about the glow of ESPN. You want the glow of ESPN, all that shoulder programming where ESPN is, uh, you know, shamefully promoting the SEC and the ACC because why? That's their primary broadcast partners. They have all that content from those two conferences – while they're shamefully doing that, you want a little bit of Pac-12 love mixed in there because it does impact and affect how people in the uh, in the uh, you know college football playoff selection committee look at uh, they look at the uh, you know the end result in jockeying for position. So we'll take some phone calls. I promise we're going to do the five at five. It's the five o'clock hour. We should do it. Uh, we're broadcasting live from the BetMGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino. Stay tuned. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano, live from the BetMGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. I promise we're going to do the 5 at 5 before it hits 6 o'clock. All right, I can, I'll stand by that. Let's take a quick call, then we'll do the 5 at 5. Steve in Lake Oswego. Steve, make it good. Hey, John, how are you, my friend? I want to tell you, I called you on Friday because I said you must have been smoking something when you picked Oregon over UCLA. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I, um, I'm just calling to kind of say, hey, you know what? Um, I know you, you're a homer, but that's okay because you were in, when you were in San Jose, too. I, I, I used to watch you back there. But um, I think the Bruins, if they get their center back, John, they're going to they're gonna make a, 
a serious run in, in, the, uh, in the tournament. But I, I have one more thing that I wanted to ask you, though. Uh, I've been listening to you for months and months about this whole thing with the, uh, you know, Pac-12 getting new teams, whether it's uh, San Diego State, SMU, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I've been a, a fan of the Pac-8, the Pac-10, the Pac-12, and I, I was disappointed you still is leaving. But when it comes to the playoffs, do you really think that the Pac-10, whatever it might be, if they add San Diego State, SMU, whatever, they're going to actually have more than one team coming out of it because SEC is going to get four teams. The Big Ten is going to get four teams, and then you got three other leagues that are going to get one. That leaves one more spot open for somebody. I just, I just think that yeah, while Oregon has a better chance to win the pack, uh, whatever it is, without or without USC. All right, let's do the math. Let's do the math. You're rambling on me now. You're rambling on me now. Let, let's do the math. Okay. It, the Pac-12 is going to get an automatic qualifier. All the pa- all the Power Fives in most years will get an automatic qualifier. Okay, so there's five in, plus you have uh, you know the group of group you have the mid majors that are going to get an entry as well. So that's six. So you have six additional spots. You're giving away three each to the Big Ten and the SEC. Is that what you're saying? That it, that in most years you think that those those conferences are going to get four each. And so you think the Big 12, the Pac-12, the ACC are only going to get one team in in most years? And a chance I don't, to get a second team. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think I think it's more likely that we see the SEC probably getting an average of like three in in most years. I think the Big Ten will get two and a half. I think the ACC. Uh, I think you can put them. You know, I think there'll be some years where the ACC gets two in. I think the Pac-12 will get two in in some years, but. I don't think it's going to be as lopsided as, as you say. I also think, look, you have to think about it. Like, just let's look at the, the final college football playoff rankings from this last year. Uh, you know, it would have been Utah, and it would have been uh, USC that would both would have got in in a 12-team playoff. So, or Pac-12 would have had two in this year, um, and you know, one of those is going away. But I also think it's going to be a lot tougher for teams in the Big Ten who have to play Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, and you're talking about more teams, and some of those teams are are, uh, are magnificent and and historic. Like, I think you, UCLA is going to do fine in basketball no matter where they play. But I would be surprised to see UCLA with any kind of consistency getting into the college football playoff. It's just not going to happen. I think USC will get in in some years, but I think you're going to see same old, same old. I think it's going to be Ohio State and Michigan – and then everybody else fighting for one more spot in most years. And guess what? If you're UCLA, you got to get by Penn State. You got to get by Wisconsin. You got to get by you know Minnesota in a good year. But Iowa, Iowa. I mean, it's. I think it's. I think it would be a lot easier for UCLA to get to the playoff in the Pac-12 than the Big Ten. I think in, in most years. But that's where I stand on that. And I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not a homer. I think I said, what was my comment on Friday when I talked to you guys? I think I said, on paper, anybody with, who's within their right mind would pick UCLA. But if Oregon could put it together for 40 minutes, maybe this is their game. I'll take the Ducks, but I'll do so kind of rolling my eyes. I felt pretty good at halftime, but UCLA's too good, too deep, too talented. When it comes in March, it's those one-game playoffs. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I was with you. I thought Oregon would keep it close, and the second half they just fell apart. It's hard to predict that, but I mean, you're definitely not a homer. I would. That, homer yeah. is not one of the. You're a lot of things, John. Homer. Oh, not, thank you. I appreciate that. Homer, homer, a lot of things. Homer not. Homer not one. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Let's ruin that by Oregon and Oregon State. 
<laughs> uh, you know, Dan Allman did walk by me at the arena, and he walked by me and he said, so you like us, huh? Like, like not long before the game. I, I told you you needed to text me that so I knew to bet yeah. on UCLA. Like, yeah, but I didn't know what he meant by that. I meant, I thought it was almost like a, he was like, you believe in us. Yeah. But there was a little bit of a, you believe in us, but maybe, I, you know, we're not sure about question, us. Question mark? <laughs> you know? Was it an exclamation or a question? Like, like, maybe, hey, you haven't been paying as close attention as I have <laughs> as, he, as he walked by me. But I took it as a... You know, look, it's nice that people are reading and listening, you know, and and uh, I appreciate the call as well. Let's do the five at five. Let's jam it in. Let's go, Judah. The five at five. Well, I'm going to start with my number one story in the five at five. The University of Oregon has itself a brand new president. That's right. Oregon has been operating with an interim president uh, after the departure of Michael Schill to Northwestern. Uh, today, the University of Oregon announced they've got a new president, and guess what? That new president ha- is the father of a student at the University of Oregon. It's true. You couldn't make this stuff up. Oregon made a hire. John Carl Schultz is the new president. He is a professor and a provost at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He starts on July 1st. He'll be the newest member of the Pac-12 CEO group. He has three daughters, one of whom is a Ph.D. student at Oregon. That is number one in the five at five. Let's move on to number two. The Raiders have filled their quarterback need. Jimmy Garoppolo is the next man in in Vegas. He gets reunited uh, with his former coordinator, Josh McDaniels, with the Raiders. Raiders lost a whole bunch of close games this last season. Keep an eye on the Raiders. Is Garoppolo like the missing piece there? I don't think so. I watched him with the Niners. He's a guy who uh, is competent. Uh, but he's not the kind of quarterback that's going to put a team on its shoulders, on his shoulders, and lead them to victory. I felt like the Niners won in spite of him uh, a lot of his time in San Francisco. I don't know if that's fair to him, but that's just how I felt. Number three in our five at five, is Aaron Rodgers traded or not traded? Nobody seems to know, but it looks like the Green Bay Packers are in the process of trading Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. Uh, not official yet. There's still some kind of holdup, but both sides posturing like Aaron Rodgers will be in a Jets uniform. It'll make them one of the better teams in the AFC. Keep an eye on that. Number four in our five at five, and I'm moving quickly here because I'm running out of time. Uh, Trevor Bauer has signed a one-year deal to play baseball in Japan. The former Cy Young winner um, is headed to Japan for the, and will play baseball for the first time in nearly two years following a Long suspension and is released from the Los Angeles Dodgers. 32-year-old Bauer last pitched in June of 2021 when a San Diego area woman accused him of sexually assaulting her. He's been on administrative lead. He's been suspended. Uh, He'll still get his full salary from the Dodgers this season, but he is headed to Japan to play uh, his baseball next season finally uh the fifth thing in our five at five let's just talk about march madness in the ncaa tournament jerry palm joined us earlier in the show cbs sports he gave us his final four jerry who do you like in the final four well my uh impulse bracket had alabama purdue texas and gonzaga you like the zags yeah i like the way they finished the season the backcourt looks like it's coming around which was kind of their problem the, the first oh two thirds of the season, and then after that loss to St. Mary's, I really like the way they they finished this season, and they sent quite a message in that last St. Mary's game. You know that that Gonzaga team is capable of winning a lot of NCAA tournament games. 
There it is. That's the five at five. Kind of, sort of. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Live from the BetMGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. This show has flown by. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to be here at Spirit Mountain. Uh, and from what we hear, Thursday and Friday here, it'll be rocking uh, in the sports book, the BetMGM Sportsbook. Uh, stop by. They say they've got some giveaways and some special things going on for March Madness. But we are about to embark upon the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday that is March Madness. Uh, we always hear, like, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the doctors, the urologists will tell you they do a bunch of vasectomies this time of year. So the people that get laid up for the game, uh, it passes the time quicker. You know, I'm wondering if anybody's ever run that by Spirit Mountain. Maybe they should have, like, get your get your vasectomy right here at Spirit Mountain and settle in and watch the game. They got a tent right outside. <laughs> would, they, would, they do, would that fly? Is there yeah. anything medically uh, inappropriate about that? You know, I don't know. I think it's good. It's a yeah. good idea. Yeah. I'm just cross-promoting. What, what are the odds that this vasectomy goes well? Free vasectomy if you get your bet right. <laughs> if you get your bet right, uh, and uh, you can you can get that done. But I'm just saying, like, maybe they should get, like, one of those clinics involved. Why not? You know? I'm a, Do they yeah. have mobile vasectomies? Is that a thing that you can get? <laughs> Some, somebody on a medical... <laughs> Well, anyway, I digress. Um, we got a great show coming up tomorrow. Uh, Jed Fish, the Arizona football coach, is on Wednesday's show. Uh, the University of Portland's president uh, may pop on tomorrow's show, tomorrow or Wednesday. We are uh, preempted on Thursday and Friday because of March Madness. So we have uh, a three-day bonanza. Eric Prisbell of On3 Sports is going to join us tomorrow. You remember Prisbell because he's the guy that picks all the upsets. So be here tomorrow.